Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. Again, you know what time it is. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. We have officially conquered Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and today we are moving into my personal favorite, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, man, this is your number one. So that's gonna be that's gonna be uh, a beast to do. The next one is is actually my number one, but this is where I would most definitely probably rank number two. But yeah, man, we've been working up to this for quite some time now, uh, and as you said last week. This is really where, I mean, I know that's kind of a derogatory phrase, separate the men from the boys, but this is where we put our knowledge to the test today. This is exactly. where we dive into the deep stuff. I mean, just think about all the crazy things that happens. I know we're going to get into it in the show itself, but there's just so many things that happen in this book. It, it encompasses everything you want from a story standpoint. Uh, the movie is another. Uh, that's that's another thing that we'll talk about. They they kind of we've got some stuff to say about that, but uh, yeah, dude, it's gonna be really fun to dive into the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, I love I love everything from the beginning of it. The storytelling, the foreshadowing, what happens in real time, the the challenges that like await them, and like through how it goes throughout the plot twists at the end. Like, there's some great stuff in this book and. I know we've got we're gonna get to covering it, but there's a couple things I wanted to talk about first. And the first thing is I'm really excited to mention this, guys. I know I promised on one of our previous podcasts, I'm not sure if it was last week or two weeks ago, that I was gonna be getting the new iPhone 12 Pro Max and the 512 gigabytes. I actually do have that here. So if you are following us on the YouTube channel and you're watching on YouTube, I'm putting it up to the camera now. It's a beautiful phone, it's huge, a big upgrade from my 6S. So you're going to be able to see a lot more new things coming to our social media platforms, our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook, our website. It's going to be great. I'm really excited about that. Also, uh, it's really funny that you know we consider ourselves really huge fans of this franchise and universe in Harry Potter. And I have never once signed up for Pottermore.com. <laughs> and so I was just kind of like bored one night in between like you know taking notes for this uh, this episode. And I was like... You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go ahead and uh, sign up and just take like the quiz just to make sure. Cause I always tell everybody I'm a Gryffindor, but I never really had it like verified by the site. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and and sign up, take the tests, and see what uh, what it comes out as. So I took the test. Uh, I like in terms of the sorting, uh, it was as I imagined. I did. I was sorted into Gryffindor, and then my Patronus was a Husky. And if you guys know me personally, why that's funny and ironic is because my first dog, my own dog, I obviously had family dogs in the past, but the one that I've had that's just my own and, you know, that's it, uh, her name's Nala and she is a husky. So she's 50% German Rottweiler, 50% Siberian Husky, so she looks like a husky with a Rottweiler coloring. Gorgeous dog, so it just was a, it was very serendipitous that my Patronus ended up being a husky and then my wand ended up being uh, like the dragon heartstring core uh so that was that, that that's all set i'm on the site guys i'm official fan now <laughs> but uh, i'll turn it over to you chase yeah man it, it's been a big week for us also too uh you know just this week we were in the top 100 of the entire united states of america which is a really big deal uh, 115 globally um so we were actually 85 in the United States, which is pretty awesome. 
Um, and you that's know, for fiction, right? For fiction, yeah, for fiction. Cool. Um, which still, I mean, you know, there's yeah. still guys. You got to think there's thousands of fiction podcasts out there, um, and and coming to the point where we haven't even been doing this 12 months yet, like we're not even there, and uh, so it's a big testament to you guys. It means a lot definitely stuck through us with us through and through for this thing and uh you know we're gonna keep giving you everything you deserve so all the content um that's been genuinely us from the beginning it's only gonna get better and better and better so all the time you're sticking with us and uh, we're seeing more and more results those results only lead to better results for you guys uh which we promise we'll always keep doing um yeah, interesting about Pottermore for me because I've been, uh, you know, I've always thought I was like one of the smartest guys, like I, one of the most clever of the brunch. But I don't know if it was like, maybe it was my looks or something. They didn't. It must have been like my Rico Suave or something is why they kicked me out. But no, what actually happened? Speaking of the Pottermore, like how Josh signed up. I've been begging him to sign up on this thing for forever, man. Um, so. <laughs> I used my old email account on Pottermore.com. So basically what happened was to sign in, I couldn't remember the password. And to get the new password, it keeps going to an old email that I haven't used since 2013. So the, really the only way out of this was I had to sign up again and take the test again. Benefit for me, kind of worked out for the better. Bad news is... I realized why I always rank Chamber of Secrets better than Azkaban. Um, and we know now that Harry really isn't the true heir to Salazar Slytherin because it's possibly me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> most likely is me. I, I, yeah, I could probably, I could probably, probably pull that off. So somehow, no idea how, because I've never been in this house ever in my life. I actually... Even what's funny was I shouldn't have done this, but I tried to even like rig it and remember my answers to get Ravenclaw because I've been such a diehard Ravenclaw since I got this house, right? And no, uh, I am officially on Team Jane Nelly's team now. I am a Gryffindor, so they somehow those guys signed me. I have no idea, but. Uh, I guess, I don't know, man. I I gotta be proud of it because you have the entire golden trio in there. Uh, you know, some of the best wizards of all time and witches have been in there, Professor McGonagall. Um, but uh, I was also surprised the sorting hat didn't throw me in Slytherin. Um, so, good news. I got Gryffindor, like Jane Nelly. Very close to Jay Nelly. I even got the Dragon Heart String wand, which was really cool. That like never happens. Um, so I was like, cool, this thing's on the up and up, man. I gotta have at least like a stag or something's gotta be my Patronus, right? Whereas used to, before I told you on this show, it was a dub. So I'm like, well, okay, you know, a dub's not that great. Gotta be something cooler. Well, I got something kinda cooler. <laughs> like, I don't know. But my Patronus is a grass snake. <laughs> the parcel tongue over there <laughs> yeah so it's like i mean i it's got to be all those like hossy heath i was doing <laughs> and they didn't even give me like the cool grass snake like i got like the just grass snake like it was no king cobra 
You can't put like a python in there. Like, no, I got that grass snake that eats rats or something. Like, I don't know how that's going to save anybody. But I know in a dueling club, it'll at least scare someone off. I just got to sign up with a bunch of children and then I'll be fine. <laughs> and then I'm set on this end, man. But yeah, uh, this is your book, man. So I'm going to let you go ahead and kick us off on this one. Cool. Awesome. That sounds like fun to me. And and now that we're, you know, we're sticking on that Pottermore thing, I actually did uh, pull up what my wand was in its entirety. My wand is Hawthorne wood with a dragon heartstring core, 13 inches, and slightly springy flexibility. So that is my official wand. And uh, also, one more thing for the people who are watching on YouTube, I want to talk a little bit about the new display stuff that you're seeing. If you're just listening on audio, I'll try to paint the picture for you with my words. But obviously, like we always do, we've got the book on one side, the movie on the other. Myself on my end, I've got uh, Sirius Black over here at the end. I've got Dumbledore on the other side here, kind of watching over the center because it's kind of like a, uh, a foreshadow of what ends up happening in the book. I've got Harry right here in the center, and then someone who's going to be announced uh, right next to Harry there as well. So that's just a little bit of the difference that you're seeing on mine. Chase has got some new stuff over there. Uh, I see that uh, he's pulled out not only the book, but he's also got the Triwizard Cup, which is awesome. I think that looks super cool. Uh, he's got, uh, from what I can tell, looks like Ron, Harry, Draco, and Hermione over there. Uh, this is going to be a really fun one, guys. So uh, he did, And he also has got the uh, Goblet of Fire poster behind him in the back. So for you guys who don't know, Chase loves the posters. He gets them specifically for the movies that we do. He's officially taken down the Azkaban poster. If you look at us on YouTube, you will see the Goblet of Fire poster up on his end. But Just what do you say that... Just there real quick yeah. since you said that, Jay Nelly. I did look it up because, you know, I have to post it on Facebook when I do it. So that's the only reason I had it. But mine was very similar to your one. So I had a maple wood with a dragon heartstring. But because I'm a short person, I got a core of 12 and a half inches. So you <laughs> definitely beat me out on that bad boy. Awesome. Cool. And then before we kind of kick off on what we're doing, just kind of give a, another quick outline of how we are going to break this down going throughout this uh, book. This part of it, this is what we're going to do. Like we've kind of done before in the past. We're going to tackle favorite moments, foreshadowed events, plot holes and discrepancies, uh, top five magical creatures and interesting facts. Obviously, we tackled the top five magical creatures on the very last episode of the book that we're going to put out before we do the episode of differences between the film and the novel. Uh, so today, you're, you're going to get is you're going to get the, the the four that we do, the favorite moments, foreshadowed events, uh, plots and discrepancies, and interesting facts for today, specifically through chapter one and the end of chapter eight. So going from the very beginning, the Riddle House through the Quidditch Cup final in chapter eight that's what we'll be talking about today and instead of you know what we usually do where i'll talk until they get to hogwarts and i'll pass it to chase and he talks till they get to hogwarts we kind of really like the format of where we'll do like five each and make some more conversation we're going to bounce it back and forth between each other and so we'll start with our favorite moments here are you ready to get rolling my brother you want to do a little malice in the chalice before we get it uh get it going yeah we'll get a, a malice in the chalice yeah sorry i didn't mean to cut you off with my maple maple wood i had i just wanted to make sure i uh set it before you jumped on in there because i thought no you're good man taking us through brother <laughs> cheers to goblet of man. fire let's drink out of our own goblets yeah oh, i'm stoked man oh that's man 
I heard the funniest joke about a goblet one time, just throwing this in there before you get started. It was from the lead singer of Lady Antebellum. So my brother, shout out to him. He graduated from UGA and he gave this speech at UGA for like the graduates. And basically what he was doing, he's such a casual guy. He was like, I got a drink from the goblet now. And he would turn around and then this whole goblet would be like filled. And he was like, ooh, take a sip of my chalcum. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? But yeah, <laughs> so now for some reason, I have no idea. But that's why I always think of a goblet. Of If you have a goblet and you're not drinking out of it, it's like not drinking out of the Stanley Cup. Like, what are you doing? Let's be real here. So yeah, with that man off to the pit of misery with you. We're going to get this thing rolling. I think I'll put the bold prediction out here. This is going to be our best one so far. I love it. That is a that that puts the pressure on us, but you know what we're we're, we're used to the pressure. So let's uh let's give them what they came here for. I'm going to go ahead and start it for us. Starting uh the first thing I want to put for my favorite moment is that the, the biggest thing of impact that happens right away as we kind of get a little backstory about the Riddle House and the tragedy that struck there 50 years ago. So their maid enters the drawing room to find all three Riddles dead. And so I know this could be confusing for some. And I, at first, I almost put it as a plot hole until I like started thinking more clearly about it. So the people that were dead was like, it's an elderly Mr. Riddle, his wife, and their son, Tom. So the reason why I bring that up, I'm like, man... If Mr. Riddle's son is Tom, isn't that Lord Voldemort? But then I realized elderly would mean grandfather. And so it was like elderly is like Voldemort's grandfather, grandfather and his, his grandfather's wife, so his grandmother, and then Tom Riddle is his father. So that makes a lot of sense now. Wanted to bring that up there. But uh, page two, I think this was pretty cool. This is kind of explaining what they saw when, you know, when she entered the room and they were dead. She said... They were lying there with their eyes wide open, cold as ice, still in their dinner things. So there was no sign of forced entry. There was no blood, no like murder weapon. She just walked into the drawing room and they were just dead. <laughs> just dropped dead. So the other thing I thought was pretty interesting as well is that uh, nobody pretended to be sad about the riddles. Because I guess you know, elderly Mr. and Mrs. Riddle, they were rich, snobbish, and rude. And their grown son, their grown up son Tom, had been, if anything, worse. Is how it was described in the book. So, it's it's sad because you know you want to leave a good impression when you leave this world, right? You want to leave it better than the place you found it. Well, these people, they they basically had it in their minds that they were kind of crappy people. They didn't like them because of how they treated others. So, treat people kindly. You'll see it goes farther. I'm still working on it. Chase is great at treating people nicely. I got a lot of work to do in that category, but <laughs> anyways, uh, my last one before I turn it over to Chase is on page four. It says the police report came back and they found that the riddles were in perfect health. They just had a look of terror on their faces. So in a way, that could almost be a foreshadow too of like you know how these people were murdered. But I just thought that was pretty cool because if you're someone who's not, if you're a muggle, right? You know, and I think about the Wizarding World. This is baffling to you. Like, how are all three of these people just dead in good health? The autopsy comes back. There's nothing wrong with any of them. None of them had any underlying illnesses or diseases. They're just dead. <laughs> like, so that's what I thought was kind of cool and impactful. If you, if you think about it from not knowing a wizard exists, 
like what that must be like. It'd be one of those like unsolved mysteries that they make the Netflix documentaries about. So I'll uh, with that, I'll toss it over to you. Yeah, man. Uh, first thing, no, nah, you, you, I gotta disagree with you on uh, the nice thing. You're Jay Nelly. If you meet Josh in person, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Always has your back. I'm the one with the apostle tongue now. I'm the true heir. I gotta start embracing that side. So spawn of Satan. He's, uh, you know, I am the guy now that I go down and visit Satan's office, and he's already got my nameplate marked there with the chamber. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, yeah, Jenny's already down there waiting for me, so don't worry. Jenny, <laughs> just mess with you guys. Yeah, uh, no, taking it from there, man. I, I, you had a lot of really good stuff. I do want to say uh, one thing that was really cool that kind of like opened that I just a, a thought that I was thinking about was like how old you know the riddle manor is like the fact that it's such an, an old place um, but yeah the biggest thing that stood out to me here uh, when this kind of kicks up and starts going was you know people even described it as like it was unoccupied it was creepy like it, it's not a place you really want to go anywhere near except for so one day right uh, after you were saying how the three riddles are dead and all that stuff. So the person that winds up getting taken in for questioning is like their flower guy, right? Is he like gardener? Gardener. Yeah, the gardener. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> flower gardener. I'm sure. I, yeah, I definitely got to go back to my gardening school. Um, but yeah, he's taken into questioning there. And, and just the ridicule this guy was seeing really stood out to me because it even described in the book, you know, two kids would like go to his house and like throw stones at his house or throw them at the riddle manor manor um and like everyone like thought he did it like he was getting a lot of a lot of really backlash for this that's one big thing the movie like never goes into um so it definitely really stands out there in the book uh, and he's arrested um following that uh anyone it says in anyone in little hangleton doubted frank bryce um had killed the riddles so like almost everyone in the city thought this guy was guilty so it's like i mean you're innocent until proven guilty but they were very judgmental in this town and then even in the neighboring town great hangleton uh frank when he was um you know stopping by the police station again and again i mean no one in the town really thought he was innocent uh, and he had even claimed that he had seen a teenage boy or a stranger dark haired uh, that was pale near the Riddle's house, uh, which really stood out to me there. Um, and he, he was seeing this again and again. Um, and it said that the report, the strangest thing um, was the report was so odd Um and the bodies had changed everything. It concluded that none of the riddles had been poisoned, stabbed, shot, strangled, suffocated, or as far as they could see, harmed at all. They all just had some massive look of terror on their face. So think of that for a minute, guys. If you're a policeman and you come into this, or a tech detective, right? And you're supposed to evaluate the scene. You're... And, especially if you're like a muggle or something but even if you're part of you know um magical ministries of law enforcement you're looking for evidence 
There's no evidence here at all, except for looking like these people have been petrified, but they're not stuffed or anything. Like, they're actually dead. Like, they're, they're done. Um, so with that being said, I'll turn it back over to you, Jay Nelly. Yeah, so to touch on that real quick, I think like with like the like anything of the department that would do like law enforcement for the ministry, they would know the they they would see the um, evidence of what a killing curse looks like. They they would have seen it before, especially when Voldemort came to power. They know what a, they know what a killing curse like looks like when someone dies. So I think that they would have been able to crack that no problem. But uh, for non wizard people, that must have been one hell of an autopsy. Like, <laughs> terrified look though. What you yeah, probably they didn't terrifying. because they didn't know what it was. So think about it. Like someone like if you've never seen a wand before and someone's throwing something at you and all of a sudden you see light coming at you, you're like, what is this? Like, it's just, I think you're just scared. Honestly, I, mean, I don't I think, think it was like scared. a bet. I'd be like yeah. wondering whether or not it would be like a, a mix of a spell between a, a petrify spell or if they got, um, you know, hit with what we find out later, not to give away any spoilers. Right. But <laughs> Just because, like, I don't recall, like, Harry's parents or anything ever describes anything like that. Because they knew. I mean, they, they they had an idea of what was happening. You know, these people were just sitting there in their dinner things. They were sitting at the table dinner. All of a sudden, this guy bursts in and, like, throws some oh, yeah, spell at them. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, what's going on? Like, they're probably scared. I mean, the only other thing that you would think of is, like, maybe looking a basilisk dead in the eye. But I don't think Voldemort's going to do all that for some muggles. You know what I mean? So, but uh, to your point, too, and I actually put this as a, as a foreshadowed event, but I'll touch on it now since we already talked about it, is when you when he mentioned that, um, the, that Frank told the police the only person he had seen near the house on the day of Riddle's death had been a teenage boy, a stranger, dark-haired and pale, which is a spot-on representation of what we learned in Chamber of Secrets that World War won't look like when he was in school. So that was pretty cool. That's a huge foreshadowed event there. Yep. Um, I did a little bit of math, because I like to do some math sometimes with these. It said Frank Bryce was nearing his 77th birthday. So if the Riddles were killed 50 years ago, and he was turning 77, he wasn't quite 77 yet, so he was 76. 50 years minus that. He was only 26 years old as a gardener. He's younger than Chase and I are now when all this happened. He's 26 years old, gets like accused of murder. So he's got to live his whole life people hating him for something he really didn't do. And so I just thought, and the fact that he stayed on and kept working for all the other people who lived there, no matter how short or long they stayed, and nobody stayed very long, like, that should prove someone's innocence. Like, if he's, if he's there, like, you know, hey, I'm not running away from the law, like, I'm just doing my job, even after y'all accuse me, I just, it's sad that that's how his life went, especially because he doesn't have a wife or a family of his own, his whole life was taking care of the Riddle House. So, thought that was interesting. Uh... And also, this was something that you touched on too. I'm just going to go ahead and t go a little bit deeper into it on page five. It said, uh, you know, in the second paragraph here, it says, Weeds were not the only thing that Frank had to contend with either. Boys from the village made a habit of throwing stones through the windows of the Riddle House. They ride their bicycles over the lawns Frank worked so hard to keep smooth, and once or twice they broke into the old house for a dare. And they knew that the old, Frank's old devotion to the house and grounds amounted to an obsession, and it amused them to see him limping across the garden brandishing a stick, yelling croakily at them. And Frank, for his part, believed the boys tormented him because, like their parents and grandparents, they thought him a murderer. So that's kind of sad, man. That's like, this guy's living his whole life just trying to do his thing and people not giving him a hard time for something they shouldn't even give him a hard time about. And then one more thing before 
uh, I'm going to go back and give it back to you is on page six. The fact that this guy, he's a 76-year-old man. You know how much devotion you must have to get up in the middle of the night alone to go confront whoever is ever in that house? Because right now he thinks it's kids broken and started a fire right now. This is what he thinks. But, dude, you're an old man. Your knee's bad. Like, you've been through wartime. Like, the, your fighting days are over. Like, what are you going to do when you get there? But the fact is, he's so devoted to this house, he, he limps his way up there and enters anyways. And I just, I give that guy some uh, serious kudos because I don't know if I'll be doing that when I'm 76 years old. Yeah, man. And I'm, I was really let down. I actually stayed up late last night, which, uh, you know, Versus like we did Game of Thrones, we really focus a lot on the TV show here, uh, covering Harry Potter. I think it only does it justice to really focus heavy, deep on the books. But I watched this part. I gotta bring this up because it was so ridiculous. I watched this part on the film. This is a massive scene that goes on in the book. They gave it like three minutes, if that. Like three or maybe four tops. Like there's like four <laughs> words that are said in this whole scene. So just wanted to say that, like, I don't know why they keep doing that. I understand you got to be strict on cuts, but some things, man, like, this is massive what goes on in the scene. Um, so just going off kind of where you were. So this is when you start hearing the second voice uh, as it's described, which we find out who it is later, right? And you can kind of get a hint on who it is. But one thing that really stood out to me here. This is the first time we hear this name Nagini that comes to this, comes into play. And he says, where is Nagini? Said the cold. Where is Nagini? <laughs> yeah. I've been working on it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I'm new. No, we don't sing that song anymore. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Stop yourself for you. Don't worry. But um, uh, you hear this guy that we have talked about previously, if you can guess who he is. Because the way he says these things, you might be able to figure out. I, d- I don't know why, my lord. <laughs> said, said the first voice nervously. She set out to explore the house, I think. You will milk her before we retire, Wormtail. <laughs> so now you know who it is, exactly. Begging like a you-know-what again, man. Over here begging for sorrow. No confidence, no backbone. This is my problem with this guy. I get it. I And actually, there's even a part I wrote down in this book. I got to give you props. You definitely won that debate on this because I even went back through. There's actually even something I'll bring up during this book we'll talk about at some point uh, that actually backs your, your theory there, uh, which we won't get today, but uh, it backs your theory. So I give you props on that. But he's just like no backbone at all. Like you chose to do this. And he goes... I will need feeding in the night. The journey tires me greatly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's <laughs> the biggest thing. Is you uh, get this picture of like, what is this Nagini going on? And we're about to find out. Um, then, you know, Wormtail tells him that, you know, they're, you know, they're staying in this manner. Uh, they're ma- in the manner now. And the second voice tells him, they should stay there until after this Quidditch World Cup that we find out about. And the second voice that you hear even tells him, 
one more month doesn't matter to me which that wasn't exact words because i don't want to give away spoilers for what he says in just a second um but that's yeah, we got uh, i'm about to turn it over to you because i don't want to give away spoilers this is your big book so i like you doing the cool really awesome moments here um and uh i'll let you take it over but those are it's a big name we hear and then we're finding out about this big event that's happening uh that's already starting right away as we're plunged into this thing 100 percent, and like i've got to be careful too because like you know right now we're doing the favorite moments and some of these are favorite moments and foreshadowed events at the same time so it's like it's like it's like tough to to navigate it right because we'll we'll tackle like you know foreshadowed events next but you know, there's some of them that are just so impactful that you kind of have to put in, in the in the favorite moments. And, just throwing this out there real quick, not to interrupt yeah. you, Jay Nelly. I felt like this was the one chapter, like the whole chapter was foreshadowing moments. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, 100%. I, that's, I agree with you. And also, uh, there, was a, there was a couple things that, that whole quote that you mentioned about like Voldemort and like milking Nagini, before, Wormtail milking her before they retire. This is what I took from this, guys. If you read that, you might glance over this and it's easy to pass up. But if you read that and you actually understand what that means, think about it. He says, you will milk her before we retire, Wormtail. I will need feeding in the night. The journey has tired me greatly. Lord Voldemort has been surviving off snake's milk. That's what he's been eating and surviving off of his this entire time is snake's milk. Yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> like, the, How do you milk a snake? I don't know. I have no idea. Get in there with little snake tail. <laughs> Dude, I've got no clue. And that's the crazy that's a really great question. And uh that I just I just thought that was gross and like the fact that like he's been reduced to this cuz remember in Sorcerer's Stone he was surviving off unicorn's blood then in Chamber of Secrets he was trying to come back through the diary then you know thankfully last book there was not a lot of Voldemort in it it was other stuff and now uh, here we are he's he's still a sh- like a shell barely alive and i just think that's something that's super important and then the name that you're talking about you know we find out voldemort actually killed this lady but her name's bertha jorkins mm-hmm. bertha jorkins is going to come up later on too so i'm not going to touch on a little bit about what she does but they glean some really important information off of bertha jorkins not only because of this world cup thing that we're going to touch on in a second but because something else is happening later on in this book that they they, they found out and their plan takes takes hold here because of the information that Bertha gave of what's going to be happening at Hogwarts later on in the book. So I won't, I won't touch too much on it there. But then to talk about Nagini a little bit, Nagini, this is what, in, in the words of Frank Bryce, because he was like sitting outside the, the door while Wormtail and Voldemort were talking in the room with the fire. He said like a giant snake slithered past him, a 12 foot long snake. Now guys, remember a bat, the basilisk, was 20 feet long in the book. It was, I think it was 50 in the movie or something like that. But in the book, it was 20 feet long. So this regular snake, it's not a basilisk, this general snake is almost as large as a basilisk. It's only eight feet shorter. So it's a 12 foot long snake that's, that's massive. And this is also a foreshadow too because of what she is, what the snake is, which I won't give away now either. Um, and then to your point, this is, this is where we finally, obviously we, everyone knows, you know, Wormtail was calling my lord and that, so you kind of knew it was Voldemort the whole time. But the real giveaway <laughs> is Voldemort started talking to the snake, and Frank's like, I had the weird suspicion that this man could talk to snakes. Um, 
And so Nagini actually rats out Frank, and he is discovered sitting out there. And Voldemort's like, well, there's an old man sitting outside this room listening to every word we just said. <laughs> so uh, then the last thing I'll, I'll do before... Actually, I'm going to finish up this chapter because I think it's really interesting. Uh, Frank himself, he stands up to Lord Voldemort. And this is more because he does no idea who Voldemort is, but like, it's still bravery, man. No one in the Wizarding World would be doing this. Frank, like, Frank stands right up to him, and, and he says, you know, you've committed murder, and you're planning to do more. The police are going to be very interested to know, like, he's sitting there, like, like giving this guy, like, if you're Voldemort, you just got to be laughing to yourself, like, this guy really don't know who I am, does he? So I thought that was really cool, that he was standing up to him, no matter the fact that he's the greatest dark sorcerer of all time. And, and Frank's, like, a 76-year-old man who's, like, on his last leg. So literally, he's on one leg, he's limping on the other one. So... Uh, he's like, uh, he's like, you heard everything, Muggle? Said the cold voice. He's like, what's that you're calling me? For now that he was inside the room, and now that the time had come for some sort of action, he felt braver, and that's how it always been So when he was at the war. He's like, I'm calling you a Muggle. It means you're not a wizard. He's like, I don't know what you mean by wizard, said Frank, his voice growing steadier. All I know is I've heard enough to interest the police tonight, I have. You've done murder, and you're planning to do more, and I'll tell you this, too. My wife knows I'm up here, and if I don't come back... And this is a crazy foreshadow because it shows Voldemort's abilities. But Voldemort cuts him right off. He says, you have no wife. Nobody knows you are here. You told nobody that you were coming. Do not lie to Lord Voldemort, Muggle, for he knows. He always knows. Got no kids, for- got no wife, got no children. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy, though, because you think about it. That's one of the things that sets Voldemort apart from anyone else is like his ability to read minds. So I, I don't want to get too far into that. But then... Basically, Frank challenges him. He's like, well, turn around and face me like a man. I'm like, okay, Frank. All right, 76-year-old Frank. You know? And then Voldemort's like, well, I am no man, but why not? I'll go ahead and turn around and face you. And even Wormtail, his servant is like whimpering while turning the chair on because Wormtail can't even stand to look at this thing that is Lord Voldemort, right? And then, um, so I'm going to actually read the last paragraph here. Page 15 says, then the chair was facing Frank and he saw what was sitting in it. His walking stick fell to the floor with a clatter. He opened his mouth and let out a scream. He was screaming so loudly that he never heard the words that the thing in the chair spoke as it raised a wand. There was a flash of green light, a rushing sound, and Frank Bryce, Frank Bryce crumpled. He was dead before he hit the floor. And 200 miles away, the boy called Harry Potter woke with a start. And it's on to you. Yeah, I mean, the only difference between what happened in Chapter 1 and the St. Nick song is no one showed up to see what was the matter. There was just a clatter there, is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened, man. Uh, I did want to just add one little tiny part of that. I did like this little moment where it did say, uh, you know, Voldemort was saying, we could have modified her memory, but memory charms can be broken by powerful wizards. Uh, so it just kind of made like a big moment here uh, to me thinking that you know even though voldemort has been this powerful people still forget how intellectual he was he really like he gives because he has the raspy boys and has no strength like people like really overlook right now given the state he is i don't think it is until really until almost the next book when you start thinking about his intellectuality because of the state he's in right now but people forget, like, he's been smart since the beginning. So I just wanted to throw that in there because that quote really stunk, uh, stun, like, stuck out to me 
um, in a stunning moment because we talk about memories a lot in this series and it's going to play a really big role later later on. And so. also just to touch on that too, just quickly before I let you take it, is that the good point that you bring up, we learned in Chamber of Secrets with Voldemort, not Voldemort, back then it was Tom Riddle. Remember Dumbledore was saying Tom Riddle was like an exceptionally clever and bright student, one of the best Hogwarts has ever seen. Mm-hmm. So we like, if you were paying, if anyone was paying attention to that, we've known Voldemort was a genius even before what we see in the actual books, just how he was described with his time at school. So I'll let you take it from there, but I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, man. No, that's awesome. Um, biggest thing here that I picked up right away in chapter two was it describes, you know, Harry's scar was burning, but here's the biggest thing for me. And as we, it's funny, we keep talking about this, that things are going to play a massive role later on. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> And that's what's so great about this series. Just because this might not play a huge role in the exact moment we're in, you need to remember these huge moments that we notify you of because they're going to play a massive role later on. If you haven't seen Harry Potter, which I know most of you have or a lot of you have, but I've been so shocked, especially on the reviews we're getting and stuff, guys, is... I've never even seen Harry Potter, but I love the way this is broken down because I haven't taken time to follow it from the book's perspective. They might have picked up on like a movie here and there, but to actually follow the series, these parts are important. So Harry's scar was burning and he was dreaming about Frank, Voldemort, and Wormtail. And just to summarize this up, guys, I'm not going to read it. I do want to say this one part. It said, just to describe how bad it was, he said, well, the narrator said, it had just pressed a white hot wire to his skin is what it felt right felt like it even said it had seemed so real there had been two people he knew and one he didn't <clears throat> he had something in my throat there but yeah and that's the biggest thing here is everything that just happened harry's been dreaming about that doesn't just happen to anybody you can have dreams but not dreams just just like that um Another thing here, and I'll turn it right back over to you. Um, it goes into, so the last time, like the scar, which really plays a role here, had hurt Harry like that. It had been because Voldemort was close by. So what just happened? He is dreaming about this guy, and the scar is burning. Like it, it, like it has before, which hasn't burned like that. Keep in mind, it's been a whole year without doing that, guys. It's been an entire year. So with that, I'm going to go turn it right back over to you, my man. That's perfect, because that's the point where I'm going to pick up here is exactly where you just left off at. Because what this does is shows progression and almost a foreshadow of its own of what ends up happening later, the connection between Harry and Voldemort. Because... You know, if it only hurt when he was close in the beginning two books, right? Now he's two hundred miles away, mm-hmm. and so we're starting we're starting to see that progress, which is going to set the the scene for much later throughout really the rest of the book, all of the books, I should say, the rest of the series, right? So, great place to leave off there. Uh, also, just like that's a fun little thing is it's only they, like a fortnight is two weeks, so it's two weeks, so they've got to go back to Hogwarts. Um, then in page twenty one. 
like Harry's contemplating whether he wants to tell Hermione and Ron about a scar hurting. And I just thought it'd be funny for me to read Harry's impressions of Ron and Hermione because they're basically <laughs> spot on. So right. the first one is, you know, uh, like he said, uh, he, what, would, what would they say if Harry wrote to them and told them about a scar hurting? At once, Hermione's Granger's voice seemed to fill his head shrill and panicky. Your scar hurt, Harry? That's really serious. Write to Professor Dumbledore, and I'll go check common magical elements and afflictions. Maybe there's something there in the, about cursed scars. Which, if you guys know Hermione, that's spot on. Get worried right away and go consult a book. Those are her things, man. Like, that's, yeah. that's Hermione to a T. And then, kind of uh, the same thing with Ron. With Ron's impression, like, if Harry was going to tell Ron, he, he'd assume Ron would say, Your scar hurt, but, but you know who can't be near you now, Kenny. I mean, you'd know, wouldn't you? He'd be trying to do you in again, wouldn't he? I don't know, Harry. Maybe your curse scars always twinge a bit. I'll ask Dad. So I just I love I love those impressions because they're dead on for like her, who Hermione and Ron are as characters, as you've come to know between the past three books and where we are right now. Uh, also, on page twenty-three, I thought it was pretty cool is that Harry's now allowed to have his school things with him in his room, thanks to the Dursleys being terrified of Sirius. Uh, so uh, it's like there was like this simple reason of Sirius complete absence uh, in Harry's life is like Sirius has been in Azkaban and like the whole reason that uh, they are able to do anything Harry's able to have his stuff in there is because they're afraid that he's going to show up and remember he's a convicted murderer still to this point like no one knows the truth outside of Dumbledore Hermione Ron and Harry those are the only people that really know the truth so and Harry conveniently left off the fact that he was innocent when he told them about his godfather in the year because He's using it as leverage because you know what? Fully grown wizards are allowed to do magic outside of school. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool there. Um, page 24, he's got that loose floorboard under his bed serving him well. Uh, page 24 to 25, I'm going to read the letter that he wrote to Sirius Black. Dear Sirius, thanks for your last letter. That bird was enormous. It could hardly get through my window. Things are the same as usual here. Dudley's diet isn't going too well. My aunt found him smuggling donuts into his room yesterday. They told him they'd have to cut his pocket money if he keeps doing it. So he got really angry and chucked his PlayStation out of the window. That's sort of a computer thing that you can play <laughs> games on. A bit stupid, really. Now he hasn't even got Mega Mutilation Part 3 to take his mind off things. I'm okay, mainly because the Dursleys are terrified you might turn up and turn them all into bats if I ask you to. A weird thing happened this morning, though. My scar hurt again. The last time that happened it was because Voldemort was at Hogwarts. But I don't reckon he can be anywhere near me now, can he? Do you know if cursed scars sometimes hurt years afterward? I'll send this with Hedwig, and when she gets back, she's off hunting at the moment. But say hello to Buckbeak for me, Harry. So, thought that was pretty cool because it ends up happening, and they they don't get a response for a long time, and it causes some worry. But I won't get into that now. And then the last thing I'm gonna take before I. Uh, Oh, also, no, I, I'm going to end this with a question and turn it over to you. My question is, what do you think would have happened if Harry included the dream in the letter? Because remember he said he, was, he thought about including the dream, but he didn't want to like over-worry him. Well, what if he did include the dream in the letter? And then what if they somehow all notified you know, the, like, the people who would need to, like, like Dumbledore, Sirius? Like, would they have started planning? Would they have like taken it seriously? Because it seems like Dumbledore usually takes Harry's word for stuff. He doesn't ever think Harry's lying. I remember when Harry told Dumbledore about Professor Treeline's prediction. Dumbledore's like, "Yeah, it sounds like she made a real one. She's done it before." So like, could they have prevented what ends up happening at the end with Harry doing something so small as telling them about the dream? 
I'm, I'm kind of curious about that and your answer, and then I'll let you take it from there too. It depends how deep you want to really get into that question. Um, I'm going to answer this first in the most simplest way, and then from there you can tell me if you really want me to dive deep into this because this is something the catch is here with this to really answer that question for you there's a lot that would have to be spoiled which right i think most people have seen the show but for the ones that haven't but basically what i'll say and then let me know if you want to capitalize on that is it wouldn't make a difference okay does that make sense it makes sense. Like I agree with you. I think the only thing I think of, and I don't, and I don't want to get too into it because we will end up ruining a lot of what's to come later if we do. Mm-hmm. The only reason I think it might, it would make a little bit difference is I think the protection around Harry would be double, triple what it was, and like mm-hmm. there would be a keeping an eye on everything a lot more closely than they did because of this dream that he had, uh, especially because. You know, Dumbledore seems to know. Remember in Chamber of Secrets, he says there's a connection between you and and Tom Riddle. You even kind of look somewhat alike. So Dumbledore's aware of a connection there already. Now if it starts showing itself here and, and Harry admits it and says it and Dumbledore knows about it, I think I think you're right. Eventually, like at the end of the day, it probably wouldn't have mattered. I think stuff could have been delayed though, and you know maybe certain I, tragic events don't happen. Honestly, I, I I think this is the one. This is the one right now we agree 100 percent on and that doesn't happen often like that's yeah. <laughs> that's very rare especially right off the bat for us to agree 100 percent. i think if sirius had known that i mean we already know how he responds later which the audience yeah <laughs> he would have been there like he would have been he would have put his life on the line to go back to azkaban at that point is what would have happened yeah. he would have been there and judging from my favorite book, which is, is, I love the way this works out because we're doing your favorite book and then we're going to go into my favorite book. He does put his life on the line at one point. And, yep. uh, you know, I'm a Lupin fan. That's why I give you your boy, Serious Black, man. You're the serious guy. But I got a lot of respect for that guy. Um, and I just think he would have been there. Uh, if yeah, that was the case to answer that. And also, I think Dumbledore would have taken some extra precautions because Dumbledore always seems to just let these bad things happen because he doesn't foresee them. For someone who's a genius, he's got no foresight at all when it comes to stuff happening under his nose. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'll let you take it from there, man, because I think we're in agreement, and I don't want to ruin anything later on. I think yeah. we're we're kind of on the same page, but I'll let you take it from there. That actually was the perfect se- segue for what I'm about <laughs> to say because. What I'm about to say that has stuck out to me isn't really important, but it's just one little line in that last chapter before we uh, jump to the next one. It's actually right before Sirius's letter. Um, but real quick, what I'll say is just that's why I got a little shaken up even like talking about that uh, conversation you just brought up because that moment I was thinking about that I know you know about that a lot of people don't gives me chills because that is the moment. The moment I was thinking about is the moment I hate the most out of all these books. Yeah. Uh, so, which we'll get into that much later on. You got a whole ride or die with us first. See if you make it there. <laughs> That's right. Make it alive. That's so, right. Yeah, but perfect segue, man, because first thing I was thinking about, right? So, Harry was actually thinking about the one that usually shows up last minute to save his life. All the time. You know, get a letter from the ministry show up to save the day yeah man i 
I saw you passed out in the chamber. That's okay. I showed up to save the day. I saw you were, you were falling off a broomstick from, you know, 50 feet. In the movie, it was like 500 feet. <laughs> Don't worry. I can call that memento spell. Lesto memento. Go ahead and give me credit where credit is due, baby. I'm there. I'm always there. Well, for some reason, Dumbledore... Our boy, everyone's boy, because he's king of the castle, baby. He's king of the castle. He's like the president everyone wanted. Not me. <laughs> I'm a Lupin fan. You're a serious fan. Pretty much the two outcasts. Um, <laughs> so Harry's thinking about him to come save the day again, right? But he's like thinking about him on summer vacation. Like he's on a beach somewhere. And I'll read this like line for you just because it is kind of funny real quick and it's not long. As for informing the headmaster, Harry had no idea where Dumbledore might be over the summer holidays. He amused himself for a moment, picturing the Dumbledore idea with him with a long beard, full length, wizard robes, his pointed hat stretched out on a beach somewhere. I'm picturing the sunglasses, you know, sunglasses and maybe a little Speedo in there with the robe spread out, something like that. And then just rubbing uh rubbing the suntan lotion onto his long crooked nose that's actually in the book i didn't just ad lib that. yeah yeah you're right it sunglasses. is i'm actually being real that's in there <laughs> yeah wherever dumbledore was though harry was sure that hedwig hedwig would be able to find him harry's owl had never yet failed to deliver a letter to anyone even without the address so it just goes to show like I do love this book because it's starting to see, I argue, here's what I argue on this. I think Harry really grows up in the next book. I think the book that the person grows up in on this one, I know you argued really growed up on the last one. I think the person that grows up on this one is my girl, Hermione Granger, which we'll get into later on. Some of the stuff she does to fight for some things which is funny, we've even had reviews on this stuff relating it to social justice issues and that sort of thing. She's really stepped up. She's no longer like the backseat role anymore. And she's the only one that actually shows a voice on the shit. Excuse my language. But some things have to be said. So, <laughs> um, yeah, with that, man, I thought that was really cool. Next thing, I'll turn it right over to you. We're uh, diving right into the next chapter. So the invitation here. Um Quick real things here is one Dudley. It describes him as the weight of the killer whale. Now I, yep. underst I understand there's medical issues and stuff. This dude was eating everything. There's even a moment that we'll talk about later with Fred and George. Fred, he's still eating it off the floor, man. Like there's no diet necessary and he's supposed to be on one. I, I don't understand it. In fact, um, you know, here's the other big thing. It's funny we're talking about food because Harry does receive four superb birthday cakes from our favorites, the Golden Trio, of course, Ron and Hermione, but also Hagrid, your boy Sirius. And then he gets this massive letter from the Weasleys of this massive event we're talking about. They have tickets to the Quidditch World Cup Finals, which is, is going to be a show to see. And I'll turn it right over to you, my man. Awesome. The touch on that diet that you're talking about, it was funny because I put that to the size of a young killer whale because that's yeah. what it says in the book. But uh, 
Like, they, the Dursleys made everyone go on the diet. They said, if Dudley can't be happy, nobody can be happy. <laughs> they spoiled the heck out of their kid, man. And so, like, they were even eating, like, quarter sizes of a like, one grapefruit. That was what they were eating. Like, just one grapefruit for breakfast. So, um, <laughs> to your point, too, when you were talking about that he's got food hitting under his floorboard, I thought that was pretty cool. And then this is, the, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go ahead and uh, read the letter that they received. And it was funny because they don't really send postage by normal mail. So they knew they heard that you have to put stamps on the envelope. Right. But what they didn't understand is that Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Weasley, they put uh, every single inch of the envelope was covered in stamps except a small little portion where you could barely make out the address of where it was addressed to. <laughs> And awesome. so I'm going to read this, uh, read the uh, letter. It says, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, we've never been introduced, but I am sure you've heard a great deal from Harry about my son, Ron. As Harry might have told you, the final Quidditch World Cup takes place this Monday night, and my husband, Arthur, has just managed to get prime tickets to his connections at the Department of Magical Games and Sports. I do hope you will allow us to take Harry to the match, as this, is really, this really is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Britain hasn't hosted the Cup for 30 years, and tickets are extremely hard to come by. We would, of course, be glad to have Harry stay the remainder of the summer holidays and to see him safely onto the train back to school. It would be best for Harry to send us your answer as quickly as possible in the normal way because the mogul postman has never delivered to our house and I'm not sure he even knows where it is. Hoping to see Harry soon. Yours sincerely, Molly Weasley. P.S. I do hope we've put enough stamps on. So I thought that was pretty funny. So that that was awesome. It was perfect. And so what I like that is like... uh, they, they, they go back and forth. He has this little battle with Uncle Vernon. And if Harry pretends to give up because he's about to use his, like, trump card. He's about, he's about to, like, yeah, pull it out. Yeah. He's about, so, basically, he, they get in an argument and Harry's like, fine, fine, I can't go. And he just nonchalantly mentions that. He's like, I, I just, are we done here? Because I got to go finish my letter to my godfather. He's like, he just casually drops that bomb on him. He's like, and then you know, that gets Uncle Vernon to agree to let Harry to go to the Quidditch World Cup because he's like wondering, he's like, well, if he knows that if I write back to him, if I don't write back to him, he's going to think something's wrong. He's going to show up. If I do write back to him and I tell him what happened, he's going to know something's wrong and he's going to show up. So what can Uncle Vernon do? Let him go to the Quidditch World Cup. He, tra- he set them in the trap, closed the jaws, and Harry's able to go to the Quidditch <laughs> World Cup final. And then... What I'll do is I'll read Ron's letter to Harry, and I'll turn it back over to Chase. Uh, the, what Ron had written to Harry, he says, We're coming for you whether the muggles like it or not. <laughs> you can't miss the World Cup. Only mom and dad reckon it's better if we pretend to ask their permission first. If they say yes, send Pig back with your answer pronto, and we'll come and get you at 5 o'clock on Sunday. If they say no, send Pig back pronto, and we'll come and get you at 5 o'clock on Sunday anyway. Hermione's arriving this afternoon. Percy started work at the Department of International and Magical Cooperation. Don't mention anything about abroad unless you want to be bored. You want the pants board off of you. See you soon, Ron. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, they were going to, regardless of what they said, whether they said yes or no, they're coming to get Harry. He's not missing the World Cup. And then I'll read Harry's two letters that he writes quickly. He writes back to Ron and says, Ron, it's okay. The muggles say he can come. See you at 5 o'clock tomorrow. Can't wait. Then he also adds a PS to the letter he wrote to Sirius. And this is important. He says, if you want to contact me, I'll be at my friend Ron Weasley's for the rest of the summer. His dad's got us tickets for the Quidditch World Cup. So those are two important things. I'll give it back to you. Yeah, that was perfect. Perfect spot, really. Side note, real quick, because uh, you said Trump card. It made me think of it. We don't talk about politics on the show because, you know, Josh and I – 
you know, we see both sides. We're, we're just those kind of people. But I do want to bring this up. <laughs> I uh, tried to or order Drano for my sink, actually. You haven't even heard this story yet. This was like three weeks ago. I don't know why. I went to the grocery store that's up the street. So I'm where I'm from in Georgia, you know, we have Publix and, and Kroger. Down here, like, they have, like, Winn-Dixie and Publix, that sort of thing. So, like, the Publix that's up the street. I go check it out to see if there's Drano for my sink because somehow it got blocked up. The plumber fixed it, not the point. Well, so I'm like, I can't find this Drano anywhere. So I order on eBay. It was, um, uh, I thought it was Drano is what it was. But the guy, what he sent me was, uh, it was a Trump card drain the swamp. <laughs> it was just a picture of Donald <laughs> Trump on it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was literally a trading card. Like it was so bad. And then I put in like a return request, but it was going to cost me more to ship it out for that card than what I paid for it. Cause I was like, damn, this is a great deal on Drano. Like usually that shit's like $14, excuse my language. But yeah, it like, is. But he's charging me like three bucks. I'm like, this is great. Well, I found out why it's three bucks because it was a Donald Trump drain the swamp card. So unbelievable, was, you know. And we see both sides, so you know, not in politics here, honestly. Um, but uh, I just thought it was really funny because it shows how if you don't watch what you see, you can really get screwed. But hey, that guy got a really good deal. <laughs> he got a good deal off of me, man. He's probably printing those things out all day. Anyways, uh, I love how you talked about the pig there. Because I'm not bringing this up now, but I, that's my biggest plot hole with this entire thing, which we'll talk about later, is this pig. Uh, which is really not that big of a deal, but that's my... Well, it's not a pig. It's just the short short of the, the real name for the bird. It's not actually a pig. It's, oh, it's like the... no way, man. See, that changes everything. I thought he was literally talking about the pig, but I know what you're talking about because he changes the name of it. But I didn't yeah. think he was actually shortening it because yeah. that chapter we get to is when you actually find out the name. So I thought he actually sent a warthog over there. No, no. You'll, you'll, I'll know, I think I've got it in the book here where I'll, I'll mention that too of when like – because like Ron gets annoyed that – Jenny gave him the full name, and so he calls him Pig yeah, for short. And that's that, why when you read it, it's with a capital. I just didn't put two and two together. I thought it would be so wrong to actually try to send some pig there. And that was my plot hole. I was like, how the hell are you getting a pig inside the <laughs> Dursleys and getting it out at the same time and then sending a letter on it, and you expect it to be there? So that was my plot hole because I thought they actually meant a pig, even though I know exactly what, what Jay Nelly is talking about later on. So skipping over that part, right? But <laughs> and that was really just like quick thing I wrote down, right? Uh, but here's what's awesome: Ireland versus Bulgaria is the Quidditch World Cup match they're going to see. And and keep in mind at this time, guys, like Ireland is a beast. And you know, like I'm the big Quidditch guy here. Josh is a Quidditch guy too. But uh, Ireland, I would say, is definitely the juggernaut on this one. Um, I mean, Bulgaria has a, a big name we're going to talk about later but it, it's kind of like football like just because you have a star quarterback doesn't mean any of your receivers or your defense is good <laughs> that's, that's right just, 
Yeah. Just to, just to talk about that real quick, I think it's really important that you mentioned that uh, Ireland's a juggernaut. If you guys remember the last book when the fireball was first mentioned, I think it was Dean Thomas informed everyone that Ireland put a full order of firebolts in for the entire team. So that was actually a yeah. full circle moment right now that we're going to see that they actually indeed did that. So yeah, of course they're going to be juggernauts. Like they're number one, they're skilled. Number two, they've got the best broom out there. So yeah. that was really cool that uh, that you picked up on on the fact that they're just like a, 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 a really basically like the 2007 Patriots of football, like with Randy Moss and Tom Brady and Wes Welker, Lawrence Maroney. Oh man, so but go ahead. Sorry oh, about yeah. that. <laughs> no, you're good. No, I love it. Uh, just a couple more things. Uh, so Percy started work at the Department of International Magic Corporation perfect for percy i think it's great and he's inspecting like all these different cauldrons and stuff he gets to judge the thickness and the size boring work but you know he's perfect for that job um so i thought it was great uh then from this point the next couple things i got here uh this is when we're kind of starting to get into book four and this are sorry not book four we are in book four (laughs) but we're going into chapter four of book four here um this actually gets into a little of my interesting facts that i'll bring up later so remember this but uh ron uh and ron and the gang so you know fred george all the guys arthur weasley what they wind up doing is they're going to the dursleys and they're gonna go visit the dursleys via flu powder well what happens is they don't take into account that the dursleys are muggles so they have an electric fireplace like thinking about it nowadays like if you have like a you know like an old school fireplace that's awesome like that's really vintage i'm into that sort of thing play the records all that sort of stuff right that's cool that's cool i'm kind of a hipster so yeah i dig it um but like they have an electric fireplace so they get stuck in there um and i do want to describe this part because what happens is they like arthur weasley basically goes hold on and then like this massive bang happens and has to shoot through the fly- fireplace. And it said they blast themselves out of the electric fireplace. Also, uh, I wrote down they blast themselves out of the electric fireplace. And he goes, wait a moment. You bellowed at the fire. What exactly are you going to... Bang! The electric fireplace shot across the room as the boarded up fireplace was burst outward, expelling Mr. Weasley, Fred, George, and Ron in a cloud of rubble and loose chippings. Aunt Petunia shrieked and fell backward over the coffee table. Uncle Vernon caught caught her before she hit the floor and gasped uh, speechless as the Weasleys, all of whom had bright red hair, including Fred and George, who were identical to the last freckle. That's better, panted Mr. Weasley, brushing dust off his long green robes and straightening his glasses. Ah, you must be Harry's aunt and uncle. Tall, thin, and balding, he moved toward Uncle Vernon and his hand outstretched, but Uncle Vernon backed away several paces, dragging Aunt Petunia. Words utterly failed Uncle Vernon. His best suit was covered in white dust. Keep in mind, this is a guy that does sales. So if you know about sales, you gotta be wearing that suit. And he looked as though he had just aged 30 years. Uh, yes. Sorry about that, said Mr. Weasley, lowering his hand and looking over his shoulder as the blasted fireplace. It's all my fault. It just didn't occur to me. And this goes in my interesting facts, which is why I want to bring it up. 
We wouldn't be able to get out the other end of that fireplace connected to the flu network. You see, just this afternoon, you know, we could get hairy. Muggle spires places aren't supposed to be connected to the flu network, you see. But, you know, um, I've got a useful contact in the flu regulation panel, and I fixed it for me. So I can put it right in a jiffy, though don't worry. I'll light a fire and send the boys back, and then I can repair your fireplace as I dissipate. So, like, keep in mind, the most tool guy in the world, and the not, the not greatest ant in the world, of course, and the guy that's been an entire bully his whole life, they're just sitting there with, they hate, hate wizards and witches in the entire magic industry are just sitting there covered in white smoke everywhere, not even knowing what's going on. Half their entire house is blown to smithereens, basically. And you have Arthur Weasley, the nicest guy in the world, like just a one of the good old boys, like Ed Stark. Just, hey, no big deal, man. I'll patch it up later. You got insurance. You got State Farm, Allstate, Geico. You got all those things. If you don't have those things, I'll inform you on how you can file for a claim but everything's gonna be okay because we're gonna go ahead and take Harry back now and we're gonna have ourselves a merry awesome time at the Quill Quidditch World Cup while you guys fix this up in your house and with that I'm gonna turn this back up to you my <laughs> I'll say that's a, that's a funny like like part there but and realistically Arthur Weasley is a fully fledged wizard and all he's gotta do is repair it with his wand like repair okay, and it's well done played, yeah. but but <laughs> anyway so I thought one part because you know Fred's my favorite character in all of Harry Potter I wanted to, like, when he says these snarky comments, I think it's really funny. Because when they first got stuck in the chimney, Ron's voice now joined the others. What are we doing here? Has something gone wrong? Oh, no, Ron, came Fred's voice very sarcastically. <laughs> no, this is exactly where we wanted to end up. <laughs> I thought that was really He's funny. Great, man. Um, awesome. But it's your point, too. Like, like of course, Uncle Vernon's not going to shake this guy's hand. He destroyed half his living room. <laughs> like, why would he, like, shake his hand? Remember, like, they talk about how nicely polished and how presentable they wanted to be just to show that they were better than the Weasleys. They're like, oh, and then what they do, just blow the whole thing up. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, also, on page 45, I thought it was pretty cool. There's a quick wink back to when Fred and George uh, took the car in Chamber of Secrets to take Harry because they knew where his bedroom was. He says, hello, Harry, got your trunk ready. And Harry says, it's upstairs, grinning. We'll get it, said Fred at once, winking at Harry as he and George left the room. They knew exactly where Harry's bedroom was, having once rescued him from it in the dead of night. So, thought that was pretty cool. Um, and they got, the Harry and Ron, like, suppress a laugh at Dudley's expense, because <laughs> he said, uh, Harry and Ron exchanged glances and quickly moved away from each other. The temptation to burst out laughing was almost overwhelming, because, like, he's talked about Dudley and how, like, like fat and like gross and just a, like basically a, a pig on two legs he is and now they, they see it they're trying to you're like had that moment where you're your friends like you're in, a, you're in a position where you're not supposed to laugh at something but you catch each other's eye and you've got to like hold it back so hard and look away like it's it, that was perfect um then yeah mr weasley used incendio to start a fire in the Dursley's fireplace imagine just making yourself a home he's like ah oh, Incendio, that's better. Like, okay, you just walking in here like you can do whatever you want to these guys' house. Like, Mr. Weasley is just clueless. Like, he's not a bad guy. He's not doing it to be like a like a dickhead or mean or anything. 
He just doesn't have like any social decorum. Like, hey, this is somebody else's house. Maybe like let them <laughs> figure out what they want to do instead of just making the decision for them. Um, I thought that was cool. Then page 47, Fred accidentally spills toffees before taking off in the flu powder. And this is a question I've got too. Not that it needs to be answered. Just that's something I think in my head. Why did they need all of them to go? Why couldn't they just be like Mr. Weasley and Ron? Like they could have all gotten Harry stuff, just the three of them. Like why did they need Fred and George to come too? And if they didn't come, this whole disaster doesn't happen. Just something in my head, not to be answered or anything like that. Just like a rhetorical question. But I just found it unnecessary to bring like five people, four people to, <laughs> to help bring you to some place. Um, especially when you can use magic being Mr. Weasley. Uh, but anyways, like I thought it was pretty cool in page 48 where he, like, he demands manners for Harry. Like, like, Harry says goodbye to them, and, like, they didn't answer. And Mr. Weasley's like, whoa, wait, he said goodbye to you. You're not going to see him. You better, where are your manners, sir? Sir, where are your manners, sir? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Absolutely yeah, It was not. awesome. That's what Uncle Vernon said. <laughs> then just <laughs> a couple more things here. Dudley ate the toffee, and now his tongue was a foot long before they jumped out of the flu powder. Mr. Weasley stayed behind and kind of stayed to clean up the mess. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of cool too. His uncle Vernon got so angry he started throwing things at Mr. Weasley, like throwing glass china ornaments at him because he was getting so bad. <laughs> like, and then um, that's in page fifty-one where we finally hear about what that was that Fred had dropped from his pocket—the ton tongue toffee. Let's try saying that five times fast. But uh, you know, he said, "Did he eat it?" <laughs> he was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> but, but I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but that, that takes us here to chapter five and I'll leave that off for me and I'll pass it to you. Yeah, man. No, I thought it was great. To, uh, not that you needed an answer. My quick answer would be Fred and George are smart. So I bet you they let their father cause they know their father they live with him do it that way versus how they did in chamber of secrets because they knew it was going to be a funny outcome. <laughs> I bet you that's probably why they did it. Like, they, like, they insisted on coming because they, like, they, they they thought they could be helpful, and they're like, but they really wanted to do what they did, I guess. Exactly. It. I'm sure yeah. they were probably like, oh, if father blows up half the, half the, the, the chimney, <laughs> what did you call it? The furnace, the fireplace? Oh, this is going to be great. And then I can hit him with the tongue tie stuff. Whatever. What do you tongue, call it? Tongue and toffee. That's what it's called. It's crazy. Yeah, that's right. Tongue coffee. Tongue, uh, like T-O-N, then tongue, like your tongue, and then toffee. Tongue, 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 tongue toffee. Right. Tongue. It's three words. Tongue, tongue, toffee. Tongue, teeth, and the lips. <laughs> totally. I'm just messing with you. No, that's badass. That's awesome. Excuse my language there. But yeah, that's awesome. I do want to read this one quote, uh, just because you kind of reminded me of it with what you were saying. Um, it was when... They were stuck inside the furnace. This was so funny because what a tool Uncle Vernon is. Like, no one in their right mind, if they knew someone was coming, would be like, and then they're going to leave. That's basically what he said. So, <laughs> they, uh, he's stuck inside the furnace, right? And well, it's the fireplace, not the furnace. Fire, fir sorry, not the yeah. furnace. <laughs> in the fiery furnace. No, in the fireplace. Yeah, and this is when, like, Harry is uh, going back with Uncle Vernon. So, right before they get in there, um, of course, he's like, Harry, can you hear us? I'm trying to find my little... Wait, party. you're talking about before when he says they better not think they're getting invited to dinner? Is that That's what you're what going for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he goes, uh, this is the best part. He goes, maybe they think they'll get invited to dinner if they're late. 
Harry heard uh, him stand up and start pacing the living room. Well, they most certainly won't be, said Uncle Vernon. <laughs> and Harry heard him stand up and start pacing the living room even more. They'll take the boy and go. There'll be no hanging around. That's if they're coming at all. Probably mistaken the day. I dare say they're kind I don't set much sto- much in and punctually. Either they drive some tin pot car that's broken and they will loud hammer in their fist and boards behind their electric fire. Harry, Harry, can you hear us? But they were like, <laughs> and they will take the boy and go. They will most certainly not stay for dinner tonight. <laughs> not today. <laughs> not today you will be. Not today. <laughs> not today. Oh, I just thought it was... He's such a tool. Like, for a guy that's a top salesman, like, you have all this money. <laughs> like, what? Uh, think, thanks for being so, um, hospitality. Your hospitality is through the charts, sir. It's it's absolutely. He, he hates things that are not normal. He hates wizards. He's just like, nope. <laughs> Take the boy and go. That's <laughs> great. Uh, so going into this, speaking of wizards, right? We're going into chapter five, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, which is really cool. I give your boy yeah. Fred and George... All the props in the world. Uh, I think George and Bread don't get enough credit um, because they didn't take the newts. They're looked down upon a lot of times, but I would argue probably Fred and George, they're probably the smartest, honestly, two of the smartest people in this whole series, I would argue. Could be. The fact of what they do that I don't want to give away spoilers, but just the fact of they even know how to manage a business. And yeah, they're goof-offs. Uh, they're kind of like me when I was in school. <laughs> I don't want to brag about that. I'm not saying I was a class clown, but you know, you get bored sometimes. I give these guys all the credit in the world. I thought it was great. Um, but Bill and Charlie, right? Uh, I thought this was cool. So, so first, Fred and George, right? Tell them like you were saying. They gave him the tongue-tied, uh, tongue tied tongue, ton tongue toffee. You were saying, and Arthur Weasley is pissed. Like, he is pissed. He's like, why did you put that there? Why did you give that to him? And then he was like, well, I didn't give it to him. I set it on the ground. He was supposed to be on a diet. That's his fault. And that's when, (laughs) remember, Arthur Weasley was like, it took me forever to, just paraphrasing this, because I didn't feel like reading the whole quote here. But he was like, it took me forever to shrink it down. It was almost 30 feet long for that four, tongue. Uh, four feet long. Four feet long. Four feet. Okay. 30 feet long would have been insane. Imagine yeah, if it that's, was 30 feet long. That's longer than the Basilisk and Chamber of Secrets. Exactly. <laughs> that would be massive. That would have taken up the literally the whole wall where the chimney yes. was gone. <laughs> that would have taken up the whole wall of the fireplace. But um, still, four feet tall. Like, that, like you know, there's some short people out there. Yeah, four feet tall, is a, that's a long tongue, man. <laughs> it's that's long. A, that's a long-ass tongue, baby. Yeah, that's... Ooh, the kissing booth. You might want to go check out that movie on Netflix. It was terrible. Anyways, uh, anyways, though, but the thing that really stuck out to me here, which is cool, and this will go into my interesting facts, Bill and Charlie, man. We finally get to see Bill and Charlie. I know we saw Charlie for a tiny bit back in Sorcerer's Stone, taking a step back in time here. We didn't even get to see him, though. He just was mentioned. Like, he, he like, just wrote a letter back to him. We didn't even get to see him in Sorcerer's Stone. Right, right, right. I thought you meant in this book. Yeah. We get oh, no, him. no, no, no. I'm saying Sorcerer's Stone. We still didn't see him. He just wrote a yeah. letter back, and he sent his friends to pick up Norbert. That's so, like, we actually never saw Charlie. This is the first time we see him. Never did. Never did. And, um... 
Yeah, and, and sorcerers. Now, I mean, we they're mentioned a lot, but you never even think that much of these guys. You Correct. Really yeah. Um, and I gotta say, I'm gonna give props right here. What props is due, Bill. I wish I could be Bill, man. Bill is the man. Bill is like this surfer guy I'm going to describe in a minute. Imagine a surfer guy, also the smartest guy, like most eligible bachelor. Combine the bachelor on top of the Beach Boys. You combine the Beach Boys on top of, let's say, Lil Wayne. That's who this guy is right here. Literally. Lil Wayne, oh my gosh. Whatever happened to Lil Wayne, by the way, just throwing that out there. Never got an ass like hers. That's like, <laughs> like the rapper. That's right. Anyways, <laughs> so Bill and Charlie, right? So it says, Charlie was kind of built like me, like short, stocky. Just kidding. I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty good looking. <laughs> Don't worry for all you people looking on the podcast. Don't look me up on Facebook. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, our Instagram now is what they do now. The Gram Snap, as we call it the gramster <laughs> anyways so bill and charlie right so charlie was built like the twins but he was short and stockier uh than percy and ron um so they were both kind of tall and lanky a little bit but he was definitely like short and stocky here on top of that though these he was really smart as well um which we'll go into in in just a little bit um then it goes into bill though it says Harry knew he worked for the Wizarding Bank in Gringotts, and that Bill had been head boy at Hogwarts. Harry had always imagined Bill to be an older version of Percy, which Percy ain't nobody liking Percy up in here. Let's be real, ain't nobody liking Percy. You can go back to do your head boy thing. Maybe you can go be a lobbyist for the government or something. Cause ain't nobody liking you up in here. Anyways, keeping politics out of it. We don't get into politics. But really, ain't nobody taking sides with Percy, sorry. But <laughs> uh, they thought he was fussy, rule-breaking, and fond of bossing everyone around. However, Bill, for the other word for it, just like I said, guys, was cool. And that comes straight out of the book. So props for Point Chase throwing that out there. You thought it wasn't that I ad-libbed it, just like the double lore thing from Vacation, Vacation Spa. No, that, that was actually in the book. Anyways, it said he was tall, long hair, tied back inside a ponytail. So you know the man bun thing? He wasn't rocking no man bun. He was rocking the full ponytail. Let it grow, let it flow, baby, as we always say. Uh, he was wearing an earring that looked like a thing dangling from it. I got an interesting fact on that later, actually, which is really cool. But it says Bill's clothes would not have looked out of place at a rock concert. Except that Harry recognized his boots. And you know how we say we've gone to Cowboys before and stuff. And you know, knocking boots. And we're big Westworld fans here. But these things were made out of dragon hide. If I could get boots made out of dragon hide, man. I would be literally, excuse my language, cover your ears. I would be the shit. Like if I walked into a club with dragon hide boots. <laughs> instantly people were like, oh my word. Not only can this guy dance. I mean, it looks a little strange, whatever. But dragon hide boots, man? You would have Logan Paul from Impulsive trying to trade for that dragon hide boots, just like he did that Charizard card. I'm telling you right now, that's exactly what would have happened. And with that note, I'm going to turn it right back over to you, Jay Nilly. 
<laughs> you, you got it, my man. Um, yeah, you explained Bill. I actually put my thing. I, I was going to explain him in there, but you did exactly exactly justice of how Bill is is described in the book. Um, <clears throat> I had the same thing too about Fred and Mr. Weasley talking about how big Dudley's tongue got four feet before his parents let me shrink it. Uh, but this is the part I thought was really kind of funny. Arthur threatens the twins with telling their mom. Like, like, you ever, like, had someone, like, the mom holds the pants in the relationship? Like, he actually had, like, no intention to do it. I'm actually going to read that paragraph on page 53. He said, uh, <laughs> it's like, We didn't give it to him because he's a muggle, said Fred. No, we gave it to him because he's a great bullying git, George. Isn't he, Harry? Yeah, he is, Mr. Weasley, said Harry earnestly. That's not the point. You wait until I tell your mother. Tell me what? said a voice behind him. Mrs. Weasley just entered the kitchen. She was short, plump woman with a very kind face, though her eyes were presently narrow with suspicion. Oh, hello, Harry, dear, spotting and smiling. Tell me what, Arthur? Mr. Weasley hesitated. He could tell... Harry could tell that no matter how angry he was with Fred and George, he never really intended to tell Mrs. Weasley what happened. So it's just funny because like, he knows her. She's going to give him... You ever think like a... I know in, in Latin households, this is very common... Like, uh, you're getting the, the chancleta, the sandal. That's like, <laughs> that's it. So you know what? You, like, Mrs. Weasley was about to do her motherly duties and put the boys in their place. And Mr. Weasley didn't really want to get there. He just wanted to threaten them with the fear of it. But she happened to be in the wrong place at the right time. And she uh, ended up getting wind of exactly what uh, Fred did to Dudley. Fred and George did to Dudley. So uh, on page 55, I think it's really important that I, I read this because I'm going to relate it to our podcast Kind of. So on page 55, I'm going to start here. So mom found this stack. This is Ron talking to, to uh, Harry and Hermione. Mom found this stack of order forms when she was cleaning Fred and George's room. Ron said quietly, great long priceless for stuff they've invented. Joke stuff, you know, fake wands, trick sweets, loads of stuff. It was brilliant. I never even knew they'd been inventing all that. We've been hearing explosions out of the rooms for ages, but we never thought they were actually making things, said Ginny. We just thought they liked the noise. Only most of the stuff, well, all of it really, was a bit dangerous, said Ron. And you know they were planning to sell it at Hogwarts to make some money. And Mom went mad at them, told them they weren't allowed to make any more of it, and burned all their order forms. And she's furious at them anyways. They didn't get as many owls as expected. So why I want to relate that to our podcast, they, these boys had a vision of something they wanted to create themselves. And they didn't really have the support of the people closest to them because it was not, they kind of were transcending what was the quote unquote norm at the time. So what's the kind of norm in society, especially for people who are chasing I's parents age? It's you go to school, you get a good education. And with that education, you go to college, you get a degree in a specialty field. Then you get a great job that pays you well. You work for the company for 40 years and you retire with a gold watch. That's kind of the norm for our parents and like what they come up to know is the way to success. Where Fred and George, this is kind of very similar. For them, they didn't want that for themselves. They wanted to be in control of their own destiny. They wanted to make something and create it themselves and provide value to other people by making them laugh and you know just stuff that they were good at. Right? They took the tools that they were good at and they put a business together or, or in the first steps of putting a business together that played to their strengths. It's very similar to what Chase and I do with this podcast. It's it's almost eerie, and I think maybe that's why I'm so drawn to Fred and George because they do a lot of what we did. You know, we didn't have a ton of support. People like offering, oh, what can I do to help you with your podcast? How can I help you get started? We didn't really have a lot of that. It was we're gonna do it. We've had a lot of backlash. People saying it was dumb, that it was never gonna go anywhere. 
uh, you know, even so much as our parents, not that they were negative about it, but they just didn't really understand it and see it as more of, oh, that's just something you do in your free time. But, you know, your job is the way you're going to make your money and pay your bills. And so I think that's why it resonated so deeply with me uh, with yeah. this moment and why I loved it is because it shows in the beginning stages. And then what happens later, not to foreshadow anything, they end up doing what they want to do. And exactly. so that's uh, that's why I wanted to relate it to kind of what we're doing here, because uh I, I feel for them. I, we, we go through it. Like if you read that part in the book, you're like, geez, like they're just trying to do what they feel is right for them and they're not getting any support for it. So, Hey, I got, I got to tell you, man, I, I'm on board hundred percent. It's amazing how, you know, they, people really say that Goblet of Fire is the book in the Harry Potter series where you, yes, we've grown with these characters from the beginning, but now is really where, we're getting the detail out of all of these personalities and you're really starting to see these characters grow up here so you're really starting to see all the ones we're attached to grow up um and yeah it is very relatable you're looking at fred on the in there with jay nelly and you're looking at george right in the reflection right now man and, and we it's so funny i mean josh and i we always tell you guys this we started this thing as a joke like this started really because we went to cowboys too much i don't want to say too much i mean we we love to go into the place i mean it worked out perfect because covid hit <laughs> we don't go back there very much but we started it more as like a budget thing we're like you know we really like having fun and just chit chat and back back and forth about fantasy stuff that we're so passionate about so why don't we just put it out there we're gonna talk about it anyways um and and you know we're both very work perseverance driven um with that drive and, and and that's what we know we can do so no one would ever doubt us on that so we're like why not just do it just it's fun anyways we're going to do it anyways and it, it's a testament to you guys because just like fred and george um i mean yeah there are always going to be naysayers in this world but a big lesson uh i challenge you guys on if you have a dream whether you know whether you wanted to be an actor, you wanted to be an architect, you wanted to be a singer, you wanted to be your, start your own business in an insurance company and get your insurance license or be a real estate agent, whatever the odds are, always do it, man. Because uh, just coming from right here, I mean, Josh and I, just on a personal note, y'all as the fans are the testament to that, that have got us there and our supporters that have been there from the beginning it we started this on a whim uh because we just took a shot on a dream not know where it was going right and you know they always say number numbers don't lie that's the funny thing about the people with the gold watch with the gold watch they always say numbers don't lie and a picture's worth a thousand words well one we have the pictures of the screenshots that we post all the time <laughs> Number 85 in the country, number 115 in the entire world, doesn't lie, and it's all because of you guys. So my challenge to you guys is, just on a personal note, whatever your dream is, take a shot at doing it. I'm not saying don't do anything on the other side, because you always got to have that backup plan, right? Look at Josh and I. We both work full-time jobs. We both bust our tail doing other things. Not that we're the best people in the world, just saying, you know, yeah, you always got to do other things too to make in meets. 
But whatever your drive is, at least take a shot at it because you deserve that in yourself. Uh, and back and on right top now, of that, to interrupt there, but well, dude, ahead. on top of that too, I think like you'll regret it if you don't. I think later on down the, the, the line, if you're like 50, 60, 70 years old, you're going to look back on your youth and wish, man, I wish I took more advantage of that doing something that I really care about. But yeah, let's get back into into the good stuff here. But I just wanted to make that like correlation because number one, I obviously, I, I, you guys know the twins are my favorite. And two, it just is very relatable to, like, on a personal level to us and what we do here. And so uh, page 57, and this is where we were talking about when you had that like uh, miscommunication about the pig. Uh, this is actually, I told you I had it written down here. We learned Ron's owl's name, the full name is Pigwidgeon. And Pigwidgeon, he calls it pig for short because like it's a lot easier and Pigwidgeon does sound kind of silly. But uh, Jenny's the one that named him and that's the only thing he answers to now. So that's uh, that was the whole snafu there. Um, going on a little bit further than that. Uh, this is the crazy part too. This is another thing about Mrs. Weasley just kind of being a naysayer to her own son's uh, stuff. Let me go ahead and, and read this here for you. It says, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to them, she says, referring to Fred and George. I really don't. No ambition, unless you count making as much trouble as they possibly can. I don't know, man. Trying to make your own business, start your own business from the ground up, is pretty dang ambitious. She just, she just didn't have the vision. And so I just want to read that there. Um... And then she's like, it's, uh, she goes on further. She's like, it's not as though they haven't got brains, but they are wasting them. And unless they pull themselves together soon, they'll be in real trouble. I've had more owls from Hogwarts about them than the rest put together. And if they carry on the way they're going, they'll end up in front of the improper use of magic office. So just showing that, you, you know what? It's not like let people, people usually know what's best for them more oftentimes than not. Let them figure it out. Um, page 60, Crookshanks chasing garden gnomes. Thought that was pretty cool. Uh, also on page 60, Bill and Charlie making tables fight each other. <laughs> they, they were putting the tables together and they had like a little duel and like one of the tables knocked the leg off another table. Thought that was really cool because obviously they're above age. So they can use magic outside of school, no issue. Um, thought that was pretty dope. Uh, now, page 63. Uh, where are we? There's one thing here that I wanted to mention. Okay, here we go. Okay, got no, it. I got it. So next to Mrs. Weasley, Fred and George and Charlie were all talking about spiritedly about the World Cup. It's got to be Ireland, said Charlie thickly through a mouthful of tails. They flattened Peru in the semifinals. Bulgaria's got Victor Crumb, though, said Fred. And Charlie says, Crumb's one decent player. Ireland's got seven. So that is, uh, that's why I wanted to defend your point that you said that they're like a juggernaut team. That, uh, you know, a better team beats the best player every time. Think about the San Antonio Spurs versus the Miami Heat. Like, the San Antonio Spurs had the better team, well coached. They had uh, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. And then the Heat had, like, the best player in the world and LeBron James. But the better team beats the better player every time. So, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. Just not to, not to ruin what happens in the Quidditch World Cup or get ahead of us there. Uh, I just thought that was pretty dope. And then... The uh, last thing I'm going to read here before it gets us to chapter 6 is just uh, right here. It says, uh, I, so this is about Percy, about receiving certain things of, uh, in the mail, like like uh, from people. <laughs> like like <laughs> Percy received something in the ministry's office's mailbox, and I'm going to read right now. She's like, uh, 
Well, I, I, there might not be time for the World Cup. The match went on for five days last time. Wow, I hope it does this time, said Harry enthusiastically. Well, I certainly don't, said Percy sanctimoniously. I shuddered to think what the state of my in-tray would be if I was away from work for five days. Yeah, someone might slip dragon dung in it again, eh, Purse? said Fred. That was a sample of fertilizer from Norway, said Percy, going very red in the face. It was nothing personal. It was, whispered Fred to Harry as they got up from the table. We sent it. <laughs> so great. Dude, I love Fred, man. He's hilarious. But uh, I'll give it, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, man. Starting uh, sixth, the port key. <laughs> that reminded me almost of, like, the Joker. It was really nothing personal. But we sent it. Anyways. <laughs> it was great. I love Fred and George, too, man. They're great. Not as much as you. You're, you take the cake on that one. That's good stuff. Um, I'm a Hermione. I'm a Granger things guy. <laughs> yeah, Granger danger up in here. Anyways, right. So going into chapter six, um, I do want to say this real quick. Um, so Molly actually said that she was gonna go ahead and get Harry's things for him, like the textbooks. Same thing with everyone else. Because keep in mind, guys, remember what I was talking about when we were talking about Sorcerer's Stone. These matches. <laughs> They're not like regular soccer or football, American football matches, right? They last an hour or an hour and a half. These things could last months. Like like how they said five days. Like they have no idea. Could you imagine if you had school <laughs> like that two weeks later and you're like, well, well, shit, excuse my language. Like, I guess I'm going to miss who wins. What if it's zero to zero two weeks later? Well... Thanks for wasting a crap load of money. Well, it's not even that either, because think of, keep in mind, like the game doesn't end until the snitch is caught, so the score could be two thousand to two thousand and thirty, <laughs> and it's not end. It doesn't end until you catch the snitch, so it <laughs> like, doesn't have to be zero zero. It could be anything. No reason for overtime when it's all overtime. That's right, <laughs> sudden death, baby. Oh uh, yeah. Anyway, so going into chapter six, the port key, right? So the first thing I have here is Miss Weasley uh, tells. George, that Bill and Charlie are apparating. That's actually going to go into a little bit more of my interesting facts later. Um, and I do want to read this quote because it shows how smart Bill and Charlie are. For Bill and Char, where are Bill and Charlie, P Percy? And this is when George is waking up, so he's still like kind of yawning. He's not a stutterer; he's kind of yawning. That's my terrible acting I have going on. This is why I'm on a podcast. I'm not Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'll be there one day. I take their shots anyways uh so well they're apparating aren't they said miss weasley heaving the large pot over to the uh starting to starting to pour uh the ladle and porridge the bowels couldn't read my writing there but uh so they can orbit off the line in uh so basically like you know they can apparate like just appear right harry knew that apparating meant disappearing from one place and reappearing almost instantly in another but had never known anyone at Hogwarts student to do it and understood that it was very difficult. You have, first of all, you have to pass the test to apparate um, is what they were describing. So it even says they were saying here, you have to pass the test to apparate. Do you have to pass the test to apparate? Harry asked. Oh yes, said Miss Weasley, tacking the ticket safely into the back pocket of her jeans. The Department of Magical Transportation had to find a couple of people the other day for apparating without a license. And that's when he's like, you know, what happens 
if you operate like without a license, all this stuff, which we'll get into in a little bit of my interesting facts, right? He says, it's not easy. Apparition, when it's not done properly, can lead to nasty complications. So this pair I'm talking about went to split themselves. This is Arthur Weasley talking here. And everyone's like, what is splitch? Like, we've never heard of that before. Or it's, it's with an N. Splinching with an N. Is splinching. It oh, okay. Yeah. You know I'm splinching. terrible name. I was thinking splitch. Like, you split. <laughs> like, splice. Like, the movie. No, splinched. Like, a splinter. There you go. Um, or splinch, said Harry. They left half of themselves behind, said Mr. Weasley. Now spooning large amounts of... Uh, was it, like, por- it said porridge yeah what, is that like what it was was it like soup or was it like oatmeal or something not that it really like, matters think like yeah it's like the what's goldilocks and the three bears the porridge like i think i i can i i have my idea of what porridge is it, it seems to me like it's oatmeal i don't know that's yeah. what i that's what i vision when i think of porridge but yeah, that's what i think it's just a, a quick thought there so of course they were stuck couldn't move either way had to wait for the accidental magical reversal squad to sort them out there's the ones you know the memory charms they actually worked on you know uh, not Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon but who was it their like friend their the aunt that like blew up into the balloon right in Azkaban anyways it says I can tell you what would the muggles who spotted the body parts they left behind Harry had a sudden vision of a pair of legs and an eyeball lying abandoned on the pavement in Privet Drive were they okay he asked, startled. Oh, yes, said Mr. Weasley. Matter of factly, but they got fine. I, I don't think they'll be trying it again in a hurry, though. You don't mess around with apparition. There are plenty of adult wizards, and don't bother with it. Prefer brooms, slower. It's safer. But Bill and Charlie, Percy, they can do it. Charlie had to take the test twice, said Fred, grinning had to take the test twice but he can't be taught he failed the first time apparate five miles south of where he meant to right on top of some poor old dude uh, doing the shopping remember yes yes this is miss weasley getting mad at the moment yes he passed the second time said miss weasley uh mimicking back into the kitchen uh with the sniggers Percy only passed two weeks ago, said George. He's been apparating downstairs every morning since, just to prove he can. There are objects that are used to transport wizards from one spot to another. You can do it in large groups if you need to. They have been 200 portkeys placed around strategic points oh you just you just jumped into porkies you didn't even straight into porkies. yeah you didn't even like give like a like a last thing on apparating you just you just jumped right Uh, into porkies right into porkies anyway how's that wine tasting over there chase (laughs) is jason good i see that over there man yeah i see you to get into with porkies is people that cannot apparate so it takes 200 or more people it can if it wanted to and they actually specifically set them up around the city so that they're not next to muggles so they don't get noticed so a lot of things that are like port keys or like a boot was used in this situation or a lot of litter that arthur wheezy looks at things people wouldn't go up to so my quotes merge there for a minute because you know how my writing is i just keep writing and writing and writing and writing um especially something like goblet of fire right 
But apparition, my point with these quotes being, Bill, probably, I would say, like the most suave dude out there that's super smart. Like working for Gringotts, Charlie goes all the way out to Romania to study dragons and has to take it twice. These are not dumb people that are able to do this. And it took Charlie twice. So, like, it, it's a very difficult thing to do. Not anyone can just magically do that. It's almost like I wouldn't put it on the level of an Animagus by far. I wouldn't put it there. But at the point of it, it's kind of like a real estate license or a PhD or something like that, I would say. Like, almost like a real estate license. Like, it's just not easy to get. With that, I'll turn it back over to you, my man. Cool. Yeah, to talk a little bit about the port keys, this is the difficult thing about the port keys. We're about to learn with them. Like they do can they can transport numbers of people, but like they have to be like those different objects that you said. Because if you're gonna transport two hundred people or more, you've gotta find something on the surface area because the big thing with port keys is you have to touch it. You have to at least touch it with one finger. So two hundred people aren't gonna be able to touch a boot, right? So like it depends, you know, maybe like a, a helicopter could be a port key or whatever. Then you know, just stuff that just lays around. Um but I uh, just thought that was something that's interesting there. One on page 68, Mrs. Weasley actually uses the summoning charm Accio, which is a really important spell that comes up big later in this book. And honestly, for the series, it, it comes up multiple times. And she uses that to get uh, some more of the wizarding, uh, Weasley wizarding wheezes out of George's pocket. Uh, <laughs> then like, we, we've, in page 71, we get introduced to Amos Diggory, and that's Cedric Diggory's father. Uh, he's holding the port key. It's a moldy-looking old boot. And just throughout page 72 and 73, Amos Diggory is like sitting there bragging about Cedric's victory over Harry last year at Quidditch, where if you guys remember, and Cedric's not the one that like did this, said this and is provoking like the thought. He doesn't think he's better than Harry or anything like that. He just said what happened in the match, but his father's doing the bragging for him and he's saying like, well, one fell off his broom and one stayed on. Doesn't take a genius <laughs> to know who the better flyer was, right? Where in reality, we know how the Dementors affect Harry he got swarmed by a hundred of them at the Quidditch thing, like out of nowhere. He had no idea what was happening, and like, and you know, he he passed out and fainted. Nothing to do with skill on flying itself. Like Harry's a superb seeker, and Cedric knows that, and he'll talk about it later in this book too, way later. But uh, it just, uh, I got, and it just annoyed me. It's like someone's bragging about their kid being better than somebody else when he doesn't even know the full story. Like he know, like and Cedric told him too. Probably did tell him, but you know, like they have a selective here. Like, nope, my son beat Harry Potter. Nope, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's it, baby. My boy. That's my. That's boy. right. You're my boy, Blue. You beat the <laughs> Potter kid. <laughs> yep. And then page seventy-seven, Mister Weasley. I thought it was funny that he didn't know how to count Muggle money. And then Mister Robert starts getting suspicious, and a security wizard has to use Obliviate to modify his memory. He said, "Mister Roberts, who's like something really tragic happens to him, like in not too long from now." But, like, they said they have to modify his memory, like, every hour, every 10 minutes or so. It's crazy. Like, like um, But then we learn a little bit more about Ludo Bagman being the head of the Department of, like, Games of Magical Sports, all that good stuff. Uh, it, they have, like, tents. They start putting them in the fields. Like, they find their spot where they're camping out. Uh, they want to build it the old muggle way because Arthur Weasley has an obsession with muggle stuff. So like they make Harry and Hermione, even though Harry's never been camping because the Dursleys would never take him camping. Harry and Hermione kind of put the tents together. They still think it's going to be enough space. Then they walk inside it and it's like ma magically modified on the inside to be pretty enormous inside the tent and fit everybody. There's two of them, one for the girls, one for the guys, which is cool. I like that. And then um, 
so basically Ron, Harry and Hermione they run they, they go to get the water they, they go to get the spout water and they run into some old people old, some old friends uh, they run into Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas and then they're like in this Ireland support area they're like whoa you guys are supporting Ireland right like and Harry's like like they would say anything else like in that group it was just a whole sea of green and people <laughs> supporting Ireland and think about it Seamus Finnegan but Finnegan's one of the most popular Irish names ever so you know he's Irish himself so of course he's going to be supporting Ireland um I thought it was funny, the inappropriate muggle outfit, the guy wearing a nightdress and thinking, he's like, I, I like a nice breeze around my privates. I don't want to put on the trousers. So I thought that was hilarious. Then on page 84, they come across Oliver Wood, who actually made the Puddlemere United reserve team yeah. for Quidditch. Yeah. So that was badass. I like Oliver Wood. He was really cool. Um, and then page 84, Harry sees Cho Chang and spills water on himself in an attempt to wave at her. It could be a foreshadowed moment if you want. I just liked it because it just shows that uh, he's starting to notice the other gender a little bit more. And he's had a thing for Cho since last year when they played against each other in Quidditch. And uh, there's two more things because this is these are my guys, Fred and George. We're introduced to little Bagman like for real this time. And he's the one that actually appears here and he's taking bets. And Fred and George bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, 3 nuts that Ireland wins but Victor Crumb gets the snitch. And they throw in a fake wand as well. So this is also a foreshadow on its own. But like what kind of wild bet is that? That's like betting in the Super Bowl that the first play of the game is going to be a safety. Like that never happens. Like you're going to tell me that one team's going to win but the other team's secret is going to catch it? Like why would that the other team's secret catch it if he knows they're down? But then we're going to see exactly what happens going into the thing there. But I thought that was cool that they bet basically all the money that they had saved up on this. So they had a chance at doubling their money. And we'll see what happens there. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, no, that was a perfect segue uh, with you saying that. Because I was going to say, it really backs up a point you made about a big plot hole episodes ago that you were saying. About how apparently, you know, if you catch a snitch, you know, you just, like, that's all that really matters, apparently, is if you catch a snitch. Uh, in the movie. In the movie. In, in the, the books, movie, they do a good job. Yeah, the, yeah. Book, the books are fine. But in mm-hmm. the movie, Oliver Wood at one point was like, if you catch this, Potter, you will win. Wasn't that Sorcerer's Stone? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure. You catch this, win. Potter, and we win. That's it. Yeah. Just tell me. Do you, though? <laughs> Maybe that's why they cut this part out. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But um, Which is a major part of this book. Um, but I did want to bring up one thing. It's probably because I'm a little biased with what's my favorite book. It's not really that important. But... It does get brought up, their name at least. So the Love Goods and the Faucets. The Love Goods. I put that in my four shot events, you little uh, oh, you little turd. Yeah, oh, I put I put that in my <laughs> I put that in there later, but no, no, it's cool you mentioned it. it, it you know, but I just I had that in my foreshadows. <laughs> Gotcha. Sorry, my bad. No, I was gonna. I would. No, I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if Chase is gonna pick up on this. And I was like, can't wait to my <laughs> yeah, my foreshadowed moments. Oh yeah, <laughs> got the rebound over here. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that they said in a high school musical? Coach said, "Fake right, fake left, walking for the pin, yeah. keeping an eye on defense." <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, right, man. No, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I'll let you bring up in foreshadowing. But the point was, the Love Goods. They do play a big moment later on. So I wanted to bring that name up there. All you bring up in foreshadows, uh, but Bogman and Crouch, like you were saying, I did want to say like Bogman is like really freaking cool, man. It's like Ludo, uh, it, it's Bagman, like bag, bag, like a bag, ba- like Batman, but bag. If you put a bag, yeah, Ludo Bagman, yeah. 
yeah, Bagman. I'm the worst with name in names. I'm awful. But um uh and I did want to bring this up, like when they were transported by that poor key, they described it as almost like it kind of reminded me of like a painful tornado. It said it happened immediately. Here he felt as though a hook just behind his navel had been suddenly jerked irresistibly forward. His feet left the ground and he could feel Ron and Hermione on either side of him, their shoulders banging into his. So smashing, colliding against each other like a car crash. They were all speeding forward in a hand of wind, swirling color. His forefinger was stuck out the boot as thought of pulling him magnetically onward and then. His feet slammed into the ground, Ron staggering him and fell over. The port key hit the ground near his head with a heavy thud. So I just thought that really stuck out because you don't think about, like, imagine if you had to do that every day, like, taking the bus. Like, yeah. this is miserable. That Good would be, point. Yeah, that'd be awful. Like, talk about having needing your Advil that day, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is miserable. Um, and then uh, I do, Mr. Weasley did bring up for just a minute, he brought up uh, Cuthbert and Mockridge, which uh, this goes in my interesting facts for a little bit. You know, I always have a ton of interesting facts because I love that section, even though they're really quick. Um, Cuthbert and Markbridge, so um, especially like uh, the, the biggest thing here is that he's the head of the Goblin Liaison Office uh, uh, of the Gilbert Wimpley uh, Committee, Cuthbert is. So it said, that was Cuthbert Mockbridge, head of Goblin Liaison Office. Here comes Gilbert Wimpley. He's with the Committee on Experimental Charms. He's had those horns for a while now. So the biggest thing here is it's interesting that you're talking about almost like politics, like how we always bring up Game of Thrones a lot too. Remember, like, goblins don't get along very well with humans from what goes on in the past. So that's interesting to think about. They're not just like bank exchangers, like most people think. Like they just sit at a bank all day and change money. Like no, like you actually have to get along with these people and actually establish a governmental connection. Otherwise, there would just be wars, wars all the time. Which goes into like the bigger part of this realm, which is interesting. Um, and then you know, I just did have that. You know, it was really cool. Mister Weasley is kind of like. I almost want to say like starstruck <laughs> I would say at this point like he's seeing all these like people that he's heard about like oh if you were like that's my VP or that's my president that's my CEO y'all should know and he's like telling his kids at the same time like running up to all these people right um, and it does say uh, that so when he encountered Bogman he was so easily noticeable as far as that person uh, do you call it Bag Bagman right sorry Bagman, easily noticeable because he was the first person he had saw, well, most noticeable he had saw so far. He was flowered in this nightdress. He was wearing long Quidditch robes with a thick horizontal stripes of bright and yellow black. An enormous picture of a wasp was splashed across his chest. He had looked for a powerfully built man slightly, slightly to seed the robes were stretched tightly across his large belly, so a little bit portly here. He surely had not had in days where he had played Quidditch for England. 
His nose was squashed as if it got hit by a stray bludger. But his round blue eyes, short blonde hair, and rosy complexion made him look like a very overgrown schoolboy. So I just picture like this guy with a baby face, but like I guess has been so successful in life. Like doesn't matter, can make a joke about everything, right? Um, and then I'll let you take it over with this um, from here in, in just a second. I'll bring up one more thing here. So um, one thing that was cool was Mr. Weasley uh, when they encounter Crouch. Crouch is very like kind of like a stiff I would call him like a stiff board. Like not a bad guy, but a stiff board. But Mr. Weasley tells everyone that he speaks over 200 languages. He says, I'm keeping an eye out for Barty Crouch. My Bulgarian opposite number is making difficult, and I can't understand a word he's saying. Bartle will be, a, be to sort out. He speaks about 150 languages. Um, so 150 languages, I would say. So not over 200 but 150 languages, which is like insane if you think about the level it takes to get into these positions here. Um, like, I don't know about you. I knew one guy that spoke four languages and he practiced like every single day and that was in high school and he was actually from Egypt. Um, but 150, I don't know about you. I've never met someone that can speak 150 languages. But with you, man, I'll turn it back over to you. I've never met anyone that could speak 150 languages either. Um, one thing I will say about Mr. Crouch is I want to describe him as he's described in the book. It says, Barty Crouch was a stiff, upright, elderly man dressed in an impeccably crisp suit and tie. The parting in his short gray hair was almost unnaturally straight, and his narrow toothbrush and mustache looked as though he trimmed it using a slide rule. His shoes were very highly polished, and Harry could see at once why Percy idolized him. Percy was a great believer in rigid rigidly following rules, and Mr. Crouch had complied with the rule about muggle dressing so thoroughly that he could have passed for a bank manager. Harry doubted even Uncle Vernon would have spotted him for what he really was. So, one of those guys who needs to keep up perfect appearances. But the crazy part is, and this is going to be a foreshadowed event, not just kind of a foreshadowed moment actually, is usually people who need to make and present themselves in a perfect experience is like making sure everyone sees them for how perfect and great they are, have a lot of skeletons in their closet. And this is the, that's going to be come up. It's, it's par for the course, as I'll say. So you might present yourself as the most perfect person in the world, but you're not going to outrun your demons, man. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> going on from there, uh, Barty Crouch, which is the person Percy Weasley admires the most, doesn't even know Percy's name, calls him Weatherby. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much weatherby <laughs> like okay <laughs> and like you know you know fred and george are gonna have a field day with that one that's that's great um <laughs> page 93 going on like them getting souvenirs and omnioculars omni thought that was pretty cool because those are going to come up big here for what they're about to see uh and then also page 95 when they're just walking to it they talk about the atmosphere it says that the atmosphere of feverish excitement was highly infectious and I just kind of want to compare that to live sporting events, guys. Have you ever been to a live sporting event? Even if you don't like the sport itself, the energy from the crowd, the passion of the fan base, people all there for a common goal of cheering on a certain team, whether you know a lot about the sport or not, it is super infectious. It's a high-energy thing. It's one of the most exciting things that you can do, you know, like in your free time. Just uh, So I can imagine that, but like imagine it at the highest level. 
Like, imagine the Super Bowl. Imagine the World Series. Imagine, you know, the Stanley Cup. Like, there's just so, like, being there in that moment. This is the Quidditch World Cup final. Like, this is it. This is the, this is winner take all. And you're in the biggest stage. Of course, like, that, like, energy is going to be infectious. That's awesome. It's amazing. Um, I have the, the one thing I'm going to talk about the stadium. I actually have my interesting facts. I've got one interesting fact today, and it has to do with the stadium itself and some things I can correlate, and I will do that later on. But going on further, talks a little bit about the stadium and how there's muggle repelling charms around it. And it, it took a task force of 500 ministry officials to make sure that this was uh, muggle proof for better lack of words. Like they'll, they'll show up there, forget they had an appointment, not know what they're looking at, whatever it may be. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, page 96, it describes their prime seats. They're in the top box. They're at the highest point of the stadium and they're directly midfield. And guys, usually the nosebleeds at the top of the stadium, those are the worst seats. They're, they're called nosebleeds in like real life sports. But why is it better for Quidditch? Because it's played on broomsticks. So you kind of see everything at a level field. Right, so they're on broomsticks in the air. If you're in the bottom right onto the field, you gotta crane your neck up like this to see. You're not gonna have an enjoyable time. The top box is the best seat, and they have the best seats in the house. Midfield, top box, level with the players, amazing. Um, page 98, and this is kind of can be like a foreshadowed event too, but it's also an impact moment. There is Harry meets Winky, and Winky says she's there holding a seat for Barty Crouch. And we find out what was actually going on there in that box way later on. You know, probably the last episode that we'll do for Gobble the Fire. But that was really important. But uh, Winky tells Harry that Dobby is looking for paid work. And Harry thinks, oh, this is great. That's awesome. I'm so glad that he's, like, wanting more from himself. And Winky's like, no, that's bad. House elves, they don't get paid for their work. We Like, that's, that's shameful. Basically saying Dobby's a bad house elf for wanting, like, equal rights as humans. So... Uh, and to your point, you know, your girl gets right in and works on that immediately when she gets to Hogwarts. But uh, um, a couple more things and I'll turn it back to you. Uh, we find out that the Malfoy family is sharing the same box. And this is the first time we get introduced. I guess this can be a foreshadow to Malfoy's mom, Narcissa. Um, then page 102, Ludo Bagman magnifies his voice announcing with, he uses the, the spell is called Sonorous, which makes your voice like amplified so the whole stadium can hear you. And we learn it's the 422nd Quidditch World Cup. It's Bulgaria versus Ireland. So 422nd, that's pretty awesome. Uh, then I just have the two things happen here that makes everyone go nuts. The Vila, they make their entrance for Bulgaria. Now the Vila, I'm actually going to read this because it's going to be important because they basically entrance men's senses and make them kind of go a little bit crazy. So 100 Vila are now gliding out in the field, and Harry's question was answered for him. Vila were women, the most beautiful women Harry had ever seen, except that they weren't. They couldn't be human. This puzzled Harry for a moment, while he tried to guess what exactly they could be. What could make their skin shine moon bright like that, or their white gold hair fan out behind them without wind? But then the music started, and Harry stopped worrying about them not being human. In fact, he stopped worrying about anything at all. The Vila had started to dance, and Harry's mind had gone completely and blissfully blank. All that mattered in the world was that he kept watching the Vila, because if they stopped dancing, terrible things would happen. And as the Vila danced faster and faster, wild, half-formed thoughts started chasing through Harry's dazed mind. He wanted to do something very impressive right now. Jumping from the box into the stadium seemed like a good idea, 
but would it be good enough? Harry, what are you doing? said Hermione's voice from a long way off. The music stopped. Harry blinked. He was standing up, one of his legs resting on the wall of the box. Next to him, Ron was frozen in an attitude that looked like he was about to die from a springboard. Angry yells were filling the stadium. The crowd didn't want the viola to go. Harry was with them. He would, of course, be supporting Bulgaria, and he wondered vaguely why he had a green shamrock pinned to his chest. Ron, meanwhile, was absentmindedly shredding the shamrocks on his hat, and Mr. Weasley, smiling slightly, leaned over to Ron, tugged the hat out of his hands, and said, You'll be wanting that once Ireland have had their say. So I thought that was an awesome way to describe the Vila and their way that they ensnare the senses of men being this beautiful. And then I'll talk and I'll uh, describe the uh, the mascots for the Ireland team here, and then I'll turn it over to Chase. Uh said, so now kindly put your wands in the air for the Irish national team mascots. Next moment, what seemed to be a great green and gold comet came zooming into the stadium. It did one circuit of the stadium, then split into two smaller comets, each hurtling towards a goalpost on either end. A rainbow arc suddenly across the field, connecting the two balls of light. The crowd oohed and odd, and as though the fireworks, as though it was a fireworks display. Now the rainbow faded, and balls of light reunited and merged, and they had formed a great shimmering shamrock which rose up into the sky and began to soar over the stands something like golden rain seemed to be falling from it excellent yelled ron as the shamrock soared over them and heavy gold coins rained from it bouncing off their heads and seats squinting up at the shamrock harry realized it was actually comprised of thousands of tiny little bearded men with red vests carrying a minute lamp of gold or green Leprechaun, said Mr. Weasley over the tumultuous applause from the crowd. Many of them were still fighting and rummaging around under their chairs to retrieve the gold. So that's really important because the leprechaun gold comes to play later on. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give Chase his due because I know he's the Quidditch guy. I'm going to let him introduce the Quidditch team, their players, all that good stuff. So Chase, take it away, my brother. Oh, man, I feel like I should be saying, let's get ready to Quidditch. Oh, man. Right before we do that, though, so I'll take a little step back. <laughs> if any of y'all like Aladdin, I don't know if he's in this realm. Probably is Aladdin and Jasmine. Because there is a point right before this, Arthur Weasley does say... He has put a ban on magical carpets, okay? So if you're looking for a whole new world, this isn't it. Your future isn't here. Winky's stuck in her enslavement, unfortunately, so we have to start an uprising. That will happen later on, but we're not there yet. So if you're looking for a whole new world, it's not happening. Your magical carpet isn't going to happen. Because according to Arthur Weasley, Ollie Banchers is on a warpath. And this is according to the person he's talking to. He wants a word with you about your embargo on flying carpets. Mr. Weasley heaved in a deep sigh. I sent him an owl about that just last week. Just like Leonard says in Big Bang Theory. Just throwing that out there. If I've told him once or twice, I've told him a hundred times. Carpets are defined as muggle artifacts. Because muggles make carpets, if you didn't know, we actually do put them in the threads. We put them in the little carpet system, just like the house elves would do for us when they make their little toga clothes. It's fantastic. Uh, not that I agree with that, but that's how it's made. Carpets are defined as muggle artifacts by registry of prescribed charmable objects. 
but will he listen no so unfortunately guys i know a lot of you guys are out there hoping for the genie i'm sure genies do exist but as far as the magical carpets they do exist too most likely they're bewitched which is what they've been saying they are but magic carpet carpet in aladdin he was illegal he shouldn't have been driving around and aladdin should have had multiple tickets that were given to him just like i was given to my headlights that i told you about a long time ago on the game of thrones episode so aladdin should have a lot of tickets or he should not exist so just throwing that out there for you guys it shouldn't happen um going into where we are now so i actually am summoning with the power of salazar slytherin i summon the great debate card against your gryffindor magistrates let's see what we got going on here today baby Woo! let's get it going let's get a mouse in the chalice before we get this one going Man, are you sure you it. need one that's my question <laughs> you're going crazy over there as he pours more oh wonderful oh gosh it's like one of our old uh little uh murdered her raped her killed her children but not as vile right <laughs> here's my point you brought up a great point about winky so actually i'm feeding this off of you so I do want to read this quote real quick just because it actually plays into my debate, which we're going to talk about here. So she was shielding her face. So it says she was shielding her face as though blinded by the light through the top box, which was not brightly lit. My name is Winky, sir. And you, sir her dark brown eyes widened to the side of plates size of plates as they rested upon harry's scar you surely are harry potter so it, they go into this conversation about dobby actually is what happens and winky mentions that she knows dobby and harry says how is he that, that like that's great like freedom suiting him ah sir said Winky, shaking her head. Ah, uh, sir. Meaning no disrespect. Uh, sir, bit it's not sure you did. Dobby a favor, sir, when you was sitting, setting him free. Why? said Harry, taken aback. What's, what's, sorry, that's Harry. Harry didn't lose his voice. What's wrong with Harry? What's wrong with him? Freedom is going to Dobby's head, sir said winky sadly ideas above his station sir is what she says so ideas above his station sir but seriously here listen to this ideas above his station sir can't get another position sir why not winky lowered her head and voice by a half octave and whispered he is wanting to pay for his work sir paying paying said harry blankly well, why shouldn't he be paid? Winky looked quite horrified at the whole idea, closed her fingers slightly so that her face was half hidden again. House elves should not be paid, sir, she said in a muffled squeak. No, no, no. I say to Dobby, it says, go find yourself a nice family. Settle down, Dobby. He is getting up to all sorts of hijinks what is unbecoming of a house elf around like this dobby i says next thing here 
You'd be in front of the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures like some goblin. Well, it's about time he had a bit of fun. House elves are not supposed to have fun, Harry Potter, sitting winkly firmly, firm by the hands. House elves does what it's told is not linking heights at all. Winky does not like heights at all. But, and then she goes in to say, she was sitting up there to save a seat for her master. So here's my issue here with this great debate. Of course we know it's a political issue that definitely needs to be fixed. Do you think that these house elves are actually brainwashed by their masters into thinking that this is correct and that this is something that should go on? So because of this, which we'll find out later on, not trying to give away any spoilers, but the people in this world, also even some of the good people in this world, go along with this because they've brainwashed these house elves so much, almost like if you're talking about going into another social justice justice issue of trafficking, almost like even human trafficking that is so wrong, right? Like think about your point, think about the points here. Because they're almost like almost like you're drugging someone up like this is okay to the point of they've been in this life cycle so long because we've talked about this. Most people that have house elves either have had so much money, they've just been handed down through the ages. So they've been used to it. They just go in families and they've been taught this over and over. You know, we're just going to submit to these people. They give us a nice home. It's fine. We're not going to be able to make a, a life for ourselves later on. So it really does go into suppression is really, if you're talking about it in social justice terms, almost like brainwashing is what it is. In my opinion, I would say it is because they're taught this so long that their own people think that's the only way they'll ever be able to make it, which is funny. We go back to the Fred and George thing, not saying they will make it on their feet, but at least you got a chance. I would rather be, if I was in a bad relationship with somebody, I would rather be free knowing I did whatever I could to make it on my own versus I'm miserable my entire damn life. That's the way I would look at that, right? But I feel like they've just been brainwashed into this whole situation that they can never make it, which I do understand at this point. It is much more difficult for them. There is no denying that. It is much more difficult. Trust me, I, I can't understand what they're going through. I have no idea. They're a whole nother race as far as house elves go. I have no idea. I can't relate at all. But these house elves, like Winky, have been to the point they are brainwashed into thinking this is okay. And that's my argument on that. So what do you think on that, Gino? I mean, there's not much of a debate. I mean, I pretty much agree with you. Like, <clears throat> the only thing, the things I would add or like tweak to it. Number one, I I, I wouldn't so much call it a politi- political issue as a social. It's a social justice issue more than anything. But I think it started that way in the very beginning. Meaning, when they first took the very first house elves and made them, you know, basically slaves. To so that's what they are. You know, that's why like what does Hermione say a little bit later? Not this doesn't really break anything up. But when she finds out how the food's made, she says slave labor. Right, so basically, these creatures are they have been enslaved, right? And so I think at the at the very beginning when this happened, yes, because 
you know, with negative conditioning being punished and tortured anytime you didn't listen or do what your master said, you got negatively conditioned to just going along with it because it made it easier on you instead of trying to keep fighting it and then eventually getting hurt or killed. Or, you know, they just, you know, they had no use for you or whatever. And they never looked at house elves as an equal race. So I think in the beginning, yes, but then I think it kind of generationally, it just had been accepted because it's what they've seen their parents do. So they thought that's what it's supposed to be. So I don't even think that they need to continuously brainwash these house elves. I think it's, I think the, the start of it did it enough for it because they grew up living, they, this is what we lived, so this is what I know. And because this is what I know, this is what I'll tolerate because this is what I think it's supposed to be. So I think the brainwashing may have taken place at the very beginning when house elves were first enslaved. But since then, it's just been like conditioned to, hey, this is how it's always been. So this has got to be as good as it gets. So that's all. I I would agree with you 100% on that, actually, on the debate. But right before I throw it to the Shadow Realm, we get moving here. Why do you think it's good? We find out later on, good people are just, which we know, because they're just sitting in the stands okay with it. Like, they really don't stick up for it or anything, right? Why is it, like, this society, which we know, like, a lot of these people are good people. Like, not all of them are the Malfoys like they don't all own them but no one speaks out no one does anything because no one cares they just kind of like which it's funny it actually does relate a lot to social justice issues and that sort of thing but even from this perspective here like no one that is good people like really steps out and does anything they're just okay with it and they sit there and support it even worse they kind of have some on their own of their own that we find out later if you ask me why, I think it's because it doesn't personally affect them in a negative way. And so if it doesn't personally affect you in a negative way, it's very hard, I found, for a lot of people to care about something if they're not seeing it. Think about the coronavirus. A lot of people, you know, if it doesn't affect someone, like if they don't have a family member or a friend that has been personally affected by it, more oftentimes than not, they don't take it as seriously as someone who did have a family member pass away from it. It's just one of those things that it doesn't personally affect them. It's like, you know, however a house health gets treated doesn't, affect me as a human so why like they don't care it's apathy more than anything they don't have care respect or go above and beyond and be the best person that they can be because it's just like an out of sight out of mind thing like oh well that's just how it's always been so why not like i'm just gonna keep going along with it and just worry about me so i think i think that's really what it is yeah i i would agree with you too um last question on that and then this goes to the shadow realm because it, it takes a lot of thought. It's almost like Westworld, like when we dived into that, and that, that took a lot of thought. <laughs> Intellectually here, so you're saying, just so I, I get your point, it's not that these people really believe in bad morals, I'm hearing, right? It's really that they're just, in this realm, they're just okay with it, so they just like accept it, but they still believe they're on a higher class. I'm assuming they would because it's been biologically ingrained in them since they were a child because they just choose to go along with it. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, that's, that's the, my stance on it is thinking that it's more of a thing like, Hey, it doesn't affect me. I'm not going to worry about it. Like, think about it. If you throw your trash in the garbage, do you ever think about where does that trash go and how does it affect everything around? Most people don't. But then there's a group of people that do who started recycling and reusing for like, you know, but the thing is like, 
if if you're not thinking about it, if it's not something that's important to you, you're not going to care as much. So why like why would you care about you know some creatures that you might not even have interactions with? Like why would that come into your mind? Is basically what it is. It's just one of those things where, yeah, yeah it's just it's it's apathy more than anything. Yeah, I, I think. agree with you 100, percent man. I think this is one of the only shows we've agreed to. <laughs> yeah, so far. 100%. So off to so the far. shadow realm with you, man. Toss that bad boy out there. There off, you go. Off to the shadows. Yeah, you must never go there, Simba. <laughs> your favorite film. Uh, so yeah, let's let's dive into it, man. Are you cool if I uh, if take, I take I the Quidditch, man? Words? Introduce the players. Tell us what happens and what we see, man. I <laughs> you know, I want I'm you to I want you to do yeah, this. I am I am the Quidditch guy. Like Josh is a big Quidditch guy too, but just like Fred and George, man. Like, he has Fred and George all day. Like, there is no stepping on his toes there. Um, but I'm, a, I'm a big one on this one. So, uh, it you went over the mascot, so let's dive right into the players here. So, first of all, let's say Harry, even it was described as it was a Quidditch match unlike he's ever seen. So, I just want to set this scene for you guys. Everything y'all have seen with these house cups that's literally like the college level like this is the nfl now like now you're in the big leagues like everything harry's done he's a great seeker don't get me wrong but he couldn't hang two minutes with these guys i'm telling you right now like there's a reason when we talked about quidditch in the beginning and i didn't mention really like yeah i mentioned some notable players and significant moments on gryffindor but i didn't mention any of their teams because like this is a totally different level guys you wouldn't be putting any of harry potter or oliver wood on your fantasy squad let's just be on a real level here they would begin no points um so what happens here is so uh you know harry like you were saying he's using how do you call it the omni om- omnioculars omnioculars the coolest thing ever almost yeah. like play-by-play with the referees if you're going to challenge a player or something yeah and break it down right like so awesome um so uh first thing i have here is so with the players introduced uh first we actually have the bulgarian national quidditch team the biggest players on this team guys that are brought out first are dimitrov all these guys are studs like these threes i'm going to mention are are studs but there is one that is literally almost like the quarterback of the squad um so you got dimitrov evan Liz, and you have do you want me do do you want me to do the names because like because i know they're hard all right all right so i'll just i'll just introduce them by name and i'll let chase talk about like the uh, the events of the quidditch cup so the bulgaria team is dimitrov ivanova (laughs) zograf levski volkanov volkov and crumb there That's a go. Bulgaria team. The Ireland team is Connolly, Ryan, Troy, Mullet, Moran, Quigley, and Lynch. And just if I can say one quick thing, Lynch is a world-class seeker, and he's about to find out that there's levels to this when he tries to mess with Victor Crumb. So oh, that's all I'll say. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you took that part over because I had Troy, but with me doing names, man, I probably would have like, and Trey, and we got Trey, and, and, and Marquis. We got the marquee squad. <laughs> no, so I, I got no. That's good stuff, man. That's awesome. What was I saying in Game of Thrones? I was like, Ran- okay, I didn't say. You kept Ran- you kept calling them like you called Gendry. the one guy Gendry. Gendry. You kept calling him Gendry. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the worst with names. Imagine if I was the MC for this squad, everyone would be scaring. 
literally as they like bolted by on their brooms they would take a zoom around and be like what like come on yep they, they'd, they'd flip you off on the broom <laughs> which is funny because this match actually gets kind of dirty as well. oh it gets very dirty yeah <laughs> yeah dirty big dirty yeah dirty dan <laughs> let's dive into it man here we go so uh everyone like soars off right it's described as seven green blurs were swept onto the field harry spun and spun the dial on the omnoculars which is did i say that right omnioculars yeah omnioculars okay i'm gonna work on that i promise work on my names here but like he had to slow it down a lot of times in the game because these people are going so fast this is a level you guys have never seen before so and keep in mind the irish they're all on firebolts every single one of them is on firebolts if you thought harry was fast on his firebolts imagine studs like the guys that are on that next level on firebolts what they're having to do here as they're just flying past all harry can pretty much see and all the groups in the stands with hermione ron george fred they're just seeing silver just on their backs of the irish they're just flying past right first thing they're lining up in first thing we're going into and it's described as their chasers were absolutely incredible start throwing the quaffle back and forth to each other so fast that Bogman, I call it Bogman. What'd you call it? Bagman? Bogman. Bagman, yeah. Ludo Bagman, Bagman, yeah. Bagman, right? Bagman only had time to say their names. So these guys are already getting in play formation as it's already being called out. Like, we're ready to go. We're running no huddle here, right? Hawkshead attacking formation is the first one we dive into. It's red as he watched the three Irish chasers zoom closely together to Troy in the center. Slightly ahead of the mullet, Moran, I call not moron moran 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 Moran. that's what i was gonna say yeah moran jane ellie with the assist over here so (laughs) (laughs) definitely bearing down on the bulgarians so these guys start off red hot just like a playoff team coming in wild card going up that super bowl baby packers talk about 2007 that's exactly what happened so you have the poor scoff play that happens first the flashed up next next to troy so they're finding formation here Starting upward with the quaffle, drawing away from the Bulgarian chaser and dropping the quaffle to Moran. So one of the Bulgarian beaters, Volkov, Volkov, how do you say Volkov? Name assistant. Yeah, Volkov. Yeah, Volkov. Volkov. Yeah. Volkov, like the the Russian Volkov, right? So swings so hard that he's passing bludgers with his small club, knocking into Moran's pass. So Moran's knocked off this whole gps bull darting firebolt system he's got going on moran ducks this bludger and then but then winds up basically fumbling the ball so he drops this quaffle here and levitsky that's underneath them winds up soaring from underneath catches that quaffle and then passes up to troy troy scores roared straight from Baran bogman sorry not Baran. I mixed the two. I fused them. Dragon Ball Z. Bogman. The stadium is shuttered with a roar and the applause cheers. It's already 10-0 Ireland, right? So the Irish chasers, absolutely superb at this point. Harry knew enough about Quidditch to see that the Irish chasers were superb. They worked as a seamless team. I just imagine almost like... I, I hate to describe it this way, but do you remember when the dream team, the redeem team of the USA of basketball were going on, man? It didn't, 
It's like you had super studs, but at the point you could pass the ball around. And it's like no matter where you're at, you're scoring. Like literally basketball style. You're shooting from the three, you're scoring. You're inside the paint, you're scoring. You're up on the rebound, you're still scoring. You throw it back over on the side of the court. There's five seconds left, you're still scoring. Like these guys can't do anything against the Irish at the moment. They're so well coordinated. Said they were so well coordinated, they appeared to be reading each other's minds as they positioned themselves. Just on Harry's chest, he was squeaking as he read their names splash by. Troy, Mullet, Moran, and within 10 minutes, Ireland scores again, bringing in the lead to 30-0. to zero. This caused the thunderous roars from the applause with that sea of green and all the supporters. The match was faster and faster and more brutal because now you have the Bulgarians. Now you got to start getting dirty at this point. Volkov, Volch- I called him Volchanov. Uh, Volchanov. Oh, Vol- Volkanov. 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 Name assist over here by Jay Nelly. <laughs> We're on the right side, Jay Nelly. So then you have the Bulgarian beaters, right? They're whacking out these bludgers. Like if you thought Fred and George were good at beating those bludgers, baby. Nah, this is like something you've never seen. This is UFC style. This is talking Mayweather versus Logan Paul, baby. Mayweather, Logan Paul exhibition. Definitely want to be tuning into that bad boy. Anyways, so we have, they're going back and forth. And then you have the Irish chasers that are trying to prevent it from happening, right? And then you have twice the force at this point where you have, I called her Anova, Anova, I-N-N-O-V-A. Is that how you say her name? Ivanova, Ivanova. I, Ivanova, name assist. You're going to be doing the name assist because this is my boy right here, yeah. I'm going to see if I ever call the game, I'd have to have two MCs. One to <laughs> write it on the screen, one to say the names. I'll just call them play by play up in here. <laughs> yeah. So Ivanova managed to break through the ranks. So she dodges Ryan, who's the keeper, right? Who scored on the first Bulgarian goal. So she's going past her own guys. Two seekers. Then you have Crumb in the way with Lynch that plummet through the centers of the chasers trying to catch her. So fast that it looked as though they had jumped past airplanes. Imagine how fast that is. Without parachutes. Harry followed through the descent with his omnoculars. Omnoculars. That's my weird. Omnioculars. Like the Omni Resort. Omnioculars. Tongue, the teeth, and the lips. That's my weird Georgian northern accent coming out. That's where I got to have Jay Nelly over here, man. He could pass more for a country boy than I could. I sound like I'm from, you know, uh, literally, I, I sound like I'm not from this planet. It's very odd. That's why I belong in the wizarding world, calling games. <laughs> so that's when they see the snitch where it is, right? And then what you have here at this moment is you have the two seekers going at it. So from Ireland, and then you have Crumb. So Crumb and Lynch, back and forth. Crumb and Lynch, back and forth. Crumb and Lynch, diving straight towards the center, right? And everyone's like, they're going to crash. Hermione's shouting from the stands, they're going to crash next to Harry. At the very last second, Victor Crumb pulls up, pulls a spiral off. Lynch is dumbass. It's like, what are you doing, Lynch? You're a stud over here. Crashes straight into the ground. Can't pull up at the last minute. With a dull thud, he could be heard throughout the Irish seats. You fool, Mr. Weasley. Crumb, he was fainting. He was fainting. That's what you would call, right? Did I get that? Yes, correct. Fainting? Correct. Yes, correct. Cool. One point chase. He can't be (laughs) taught. (laughs) So, 
Uh, this is when Mr. Mr. Weasley's like, the Secret Division read the shining purple lettering across the lenses that they came across as you have Harry looking at that Aminoculars. He saw Crumb's face contorted with concentration as he pulled up out of the faint just in time while Lynch was being flattened as he pounded into the ground. Crumb hadn't seen the snitch at all. This was all a diversion at this point, making Lynch copy him. I put in here just a side note, absolute genius move goes to show this is how you win games without having all the talent. Harry had never seen anyone fly like that. Crumb, he looked as though a broomstick had moved just so easily through the air and he was unsupported and weightless as he flew through the air. He was circling high above Lynch before he got back down to the ground who was being revived by medical wizards. Call in the ambulance, call, cart him off the field, cart him off the field, but no, 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 no. You can't die yet, you haven't confessed. Not up in here, not up in here. So Harry, focusing still more closely on Crumb's face as he saw his dark eyes darting all over the ground 100 feet below, he was using the time while Lynch is being revived on the ground because he can't die yet. He hasn't confessed for the snitch without interference. Lynch got to his feet at last. The loud cheers of green. Just the supporters from the crowd and the firebolt kicks back off from the ground. Shoots back off into the sky. And everyone in Ireland is roaring and cheering. You have the whole sea of green coming through. All these people in the stands, which Jane Alley's going to go to on all the capacity later in his foreshadowing moments and his interesting facts. After 15 more minutes, Ireland pulled ahead. 10 more goals now leading the game. You have 130 to 10. Tell me that is not insane. Is that not the definition of juggernaut, Jane Ellie? That's an ass whooping for sure. <laughs> I don't even know. Especially that. Like is. I want to touch on that quickly too, because you think about it, every every score from a quaffle is only ten points. So you know how many times they had to put that quaffle to get to hundred and thirty? They had to put it through thirteen times before the other team like they only did it once. Like that's crazy. That's insane. Yeah, this that's crazy. A free, it's a free for all. Go put your bench in. Get some people out of the stands. Let's rest our players. This game is over. <laughs> well, let, let, let's get let's let's get through it. Oh, it's it, it, I. I'm a Falcons fan. I thought the game was over in 2017. It wasn't. If we were up 130 to 10, we would have been fine. No matter, even if they had Tom Brady, who is the Five championship what? legend of the football gods, which he is. I got to give Tom Brady respect over here. He's about to light us up in Tampa, too, which is even worse. Every single year now we get to get lit up in our own division. But, yeah, if we were up 130 to 10, we wouldn't have had this problem. Mullet shoots towards the stand past the goalpost, clutching the quaffle as he's tightly under an array of Bulgarian keepers. Zogarat. I call it Zogarat. Z-O-G-R-O-T. Zograf. It's Z-O-G-R-A-F. I think you just no, can't oh, read your sorry. handwriting. Zograf. Yeah. Is it Zograf? Yeah, Zograf. Yeah, Zograf. Yeah. Oh, man. Zograf would be like something Wormtail would have on his squad, man. Handpick the team. That's right. Exactly what I, yeah, anyway. So he's soaring past everybody. 
He flows over to meet the Bulgarian keepers. And then whatever happened, they described as it happened so quickly that it stopped midair with this loud bang and the rage from the Irish crowd. So Masafa, I call him Masafa. He is the referee in this game. He is from his name's, Egypt. His name's Hassan Mostafa. Mostafa! Mostafa. Uh. I almost wanted to go with Mufasa, but I knew it couldn't be that because <laughs> it, it just wouldn't be. He's not He's not that cool. Like, <laughs> Mufasa is kind of up there, man. He, he's the. He's even a little bit better than Victor Crumb, in my opinion, so they wouldn't <laughs> give that guy this name. Just, please say the name one more time for me, Giannelli. Hassan Mustafa. Hassan Mustafa. So he has this long shrill of a whistle blast. Calls the foul. And Mustafa, Hassan Mustafa, did I say it right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Takes Bulgarian keeper task for lobbying excessive elbows. They're going blow for blow here. Elbow to the face. In the face. And then they get the penalty for Ireland. So on top of just being a juggernaut, you're calling flags over here. You got flags on the field. And now you're you about to take the L. You're about to take the L is what's happened here. Hassan Mustafa, the referee, referee landed going into what Jay Nelly was saying. This is where it gets a little tricky. Land in front of the Vila. And I thought the people out of bounds the people in the stands, the people in the mascots. I didn't know the mascots could play, but apparently we got substitutes up in Quidditch up in here because it doesn't matter when you're in the Quidditch World Cup, baby. So what happens here is you have the flexing of the muscles from Mostafa. He's feeling it, man. Feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. Trying to impress the Vila. He That's wants to impress right. the girls, man. Ah, and this is when it starts to get dirty, man. So, a media wizard kicked Mustafa in the shins, bringing him back to his senses. He began sending Vila mascots away, like, get out of here. And unless I'm mistaken, Mustafa is attempting, said from the Bulgarian team mascots, he was attempting to basically like come on to the Vila. And then what happens is he winds up throwing them away. Like, get out of here. This is your fault. You can't be doing this. This is wrong. They continued to argue with what you call Volchanov. Volkanov? Yeah, Volkanov. Volkan. Uh, so what happens is they start taking the side of the Vila. Like, this is your fault. Like, that's, that's your fault. You started getting all sexy Lexi and Jan Jan the cheerleading man. That's exactly what happened here, and you started not watching your job, just like what where we had the referee lockout here in America with the football team years ago because you started getting side refs. That's exactly what he was playing. He's playing side ref over here. And then what happened is Mustafa didn't like it, sounded two blasts of the whistle, two penalties for Ireland. No! Okay, let's see what we got, Bulgarians. Bulgarians! Troy takes the quaffle. Volkanov and Vulcan get back on their teams. Oh, yeah. It's table. Table's not turned yet, I wouldn't say. Most definitely not. But we're going about to see what happens. Play reached a level of ferocity beyond anything they've ever seen. Talking gangs in New York style. 
The beaters on both sides were acting without mercy. Volkanov, Volchatov. Volchanov. Uh, sounds like Pokemon. I choose you, Volchanov. Volkanov, Volkanov and Volchanov. Please say the names. Volkanov Volkanov and Volkov. <laughs> Volki and Volko. I'm sorry, say this one more time. Volkanov is with the CH, then Volkov is just the V O L K O V. Volkanov and Volkov. Volkanov and Volkov. Did I say that? Perfect. Right? Perfect. I can be taught. Volkanov and Volkov in particular seem not to care whether their clubs made contact with the bludger on the human they were trying to slay. Sun and violently through the air. Dolmatrov shot straight through Moran, who had the quaffle nearly knocking her off the broom. Bow! roared the Irish supporters as they're standing up in the stands. Bow! echoed Luko Bagman as he magically magnified his voice. His voice. Dimitrov skins Moran, deliberately flying to collide there, and it's got to be another penalty. Yes! I can't do the whistle sound, but... Whatever, that's my terrible whistle. Whistle! Lodowski dumping on Moran. Moran scores. Another for the Irish over here. Can you say domination? Yeah! Can you say congratulations? Worked so hard, I got on to vacation. That's exactly what the Irish are thinking right now. Levetsky had the quaffle. Now Dimitrov, the Irish beater. Now heavily passing the bludgers as it hits to the possible towards Crumb, who ducked quickly enough just to miss it until it hit him in the face. In the face! The blood's going everywhere just like the hangover Crumb. You can't do it because you're only 18. You're not mature yet enough to know how to dodge a bludger to the face. And that's just what happened to you. Throwing you off your game even though you had this whole cool plan that was working out so well for you. Sorry, you got the bludger to the face when you're down right now. There was a deafening groan from the crowd as Crumb's face, broken, was blood everywhere. Saw Mustafa didn't blow the whistle at all. Just let it go, baby. Let it ride. Let it ride. This is hockey. This is football. This is soccer. Let the slide tackles go. No one cares. Hit him in the face. Let's UFC this mother ever. We don't cuss on this channel because this is Harry Potter. Hell yeah! One of the Velas sent a handful of fire and said, Screw it, baby. Sending Quigley's broom's tail on fire. So as he's going off these things, as we know what's illegal and what's not, just like Malfoy grabbed Harry's broom slowing it down, imagine your broom's on fire, baby. We're burning down the house. Yeah! So your freaking house is on fire. You gotta run outside. Imagine if you had to play on this thing the entire game. That's like playing with four broken ribs and having to train through the game. Yeah, not that easy. Not that easy. So quickly, he's basically screwed out of here. You're gonna spiral out of control. Look at Lynch, Harry yelled. The Irish Seeker had suddenly gone into a dive. Harry was quite sure that there was no Ronsky. I called it Ronsky Faint. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That's what I call it. Wrong stupid. Yeah. Baby, can't be tied. This was the real thing. He had seen the snitch, Harry shouted. He's seen it. Look at him go. Half the crowd seen as they realized what was happening. The Irish supporter rose in another great wave of green, screaming seeker. But Crumb, Crumb was on the tail. 
He could see where he was going. Harry had no idea. There was flecks of blood flying through the air because he just got it in the face. So imagine this. You have the blood going in his face. He can't see. Almost like an Oculus Reparo charm needs to be done. But it can't. It can't because he got the blood everywhere and he can't see. But he doesn't care. Crumb keeps going. He keeps flying through the air behind him. But he was drawing the level with Lynch. Now at the pair. Hurtled toward the ground again. Both in a dive, both in a crash. They're going to crash! Hermione shrinked. They're not, roared Ron. Lynch us! yelled Harry. He's got it! No! And he was right. For the second time, Lynch hit the ground with a tremendous force that was immediately by a handle of angry Vila. No way! You got all these hot women and you just hit the ground life so hard! But at the same time, suck it. Because it's about to go in the other way and you could possibly lose the game. Probably going to lose the game. Suck it. You didn't learn from your spake last time. You lost from an audible. You lost from the faint. Sorry. That's why they watch film, bro. The snitch? Where's the snitch? Bellowed Charlie along the row. He's got it. Crumb's got it. It's over. It's over. It's over. Over. Shouted Harry. Crumb in his red robes, shining with blood from his nose, just dripping like a vampire from true blood at the teeth. Rising gently into the air, his fist held high. I got the golden snitch in my hand. It's flashing. We got this. We've won. Everyone cheers. Everyone's about to rush the field, but then they look at the scoreboard that was wiping its hand off, and it suddenly says Bulgaria 160, Ireland 170. <laughs> It's over! It's over! Suck it, Crumb! Suck it! Because you didn't time your mistakes like Harry did, timed himself back in Prisoner of Azkaban, which we have learned going back a couple of episodes ago, when you should be in the NFL, should be in the Premier League, you should be in the MLB, NBA, top level here and should have timed it if you had timed it five more seconds you would have been fine across the crowd who didn't seem to have realized what had happened slowly as though the great jumbo jet was reviving up the rumbling of island supporters grew louder and louder they erupted into the screams of delight ireland wins magnus shouted ireland wins the green is taking the field. They've taken it suddenly. Crumb gets the snitch, but Ireland wins. We made this point. This is where Sorcerer Stone screwed the Puchachi. They screwed it wrong. It was bad. Joshua Nelson. Just, just uh, make just make the note that it's the movie that was wrong, not the book. The yeah, book never said that. The book that. was right. JK the Sorcerer's Sorcerer Stone movie was the one that made it look wrong. <laughs> the Sorcerer's Stone movie where Oliver Wood quotes win made it wrong. That's what made it wrong. The book is absolutely Correct. flawless when it comes to Quidditch. That's we not flawless. There's a lot of plot holes in there. But there's a lot of plot holes <laughs> yes. in there. That's where Jane Ellie comes in with the assist. Let's, let's sum this up, man. Let's let's sum this bad boy up. Let's like... sum this up, baby. Let's end it here. So, I don't think anyone was expecting that, Ron Bellard. What did he catch the snitch for? You have Ronald Weasley at this point. That's like, what an idiot. He ended up 
Uh, if Ireland were 160 points, what like what an idiot. He knew they were never going to catch up, Harry shouted. That, uh, that might be a point. I really doubt it. I don't think he, he thought that. The Irish chasers were just too good. He wanted to end it. That's That was the terms here. Harry put his omnoculars to his eyes again. It was hard to see what was happening below because the leprechauns were just zooming so delightedly all over the field that he could just, just make out Crumb surrounded by the wizards. He looked as though he never had. Like he, he refused to let up, but his team members were around him shaking their heads Looking dejected on a side note like a kicker that missed the extra point or you dropped the pass in the end zone. A short way away, the Irish players were dancing gleefully with a shower of gold. Descending from their mascots, flags were waving all over the stadium. The Irish national anthem was blaring from sides as the Vila were shrinking back beautiful selves now but shrinking back looking dispirited well we vaudeville bridges said a gloomy voice behind harry he looked around it was the bulgarian minister of magic wow you just embarrassed your ass crumb excuse my language you embarrassed it so that's how the the cup ends that's how that's how it goes yeah, dude, I'm just going to just touch on bullet points for it, just in case anyone's like, what happened there? So basically, that starts off with those guys. The Hawks head formation is the first one we see with the Ireland. The Ireland scores the first goal. Troy puts a quaffle through. Omnioculars slow the game down, but it's like watching a laggy stream, so you're not actually in real time. That's why Harry missed the first goal being scored. Crumb pulls off the wrong C-Fang for the first time. Lynch crashes. Game starts to get dirty. The ref gets entranced by the Vila. Somebody slapped the referee. Referee gets kicked in the shins. He tries to throw the Vila out. The Leprechauns form a middle finger at the Vila. The Vila start throwing fireballs back at them. Crumb caught the bludger full in the face and it broke his nose and he's bleeding everywhere. Crumb gets a snitch, out flies Lynch again. Lynch crashes again and gets stampeded by the angry Vila. Now we've got a full circle moment. Ireland wins, but Crumb gets a snitch. Exactly what Fred and George said would happen and bet Ludo Bagman on. So, boom, yep. the Quidditch World Cup is at an end, and that is where our favorite moments end. And now we get to get into our awesome foreshadowed events, which are great because we can fly through these because we just point them out, and then we get to our plot holes and facts, and that will close we'll out up, for the yeah. day. The foreshadowed events, page three. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but Frank told the police the only person he had seen near the house on the day of Riddle's death had been the teenager boy with the strange dark hair and pale face. Uh, that was crazy. That's going to be a foreshadow of who that was. Also kind of like a wink back to Chamber of Secrets. Page four, the Riddles were buried in the little Hangleton churchyard. This is something that's easy to miss because this churchyard comes into play very much later on in this book. That's a heavy foreshadowed event. Page 7, where is Nagini? That was just a quick foreshadow that got answered in like two two pages. Uh, it, then this is, next one is pretty big. That would be foolish to act before the Quidditch World Cup is over. That's a foreshadow from Voldemort. Page 8. Wormtail says it could be done without Harry Potter. If we were to use another witch or wizard, any wizard, the thing could be done so much more quickly. That's a foreshadow and a full circle. It's a full so it's a full circle because Dumbledore said there may become a time where Harry Potter is uh, 
happy that he was like that Wormtail is in his debt last book in Azkaban. But it's also a foreshadow for what happens at the end of this book. Now, page 10. This is a pretty big one that I want to touch on. I'm actually going to read the passage here for page 10 and knock this one out and then turn it over to you for some of yours ones. So this is Voldemort saying, I have my reasons for using the boy as I have already explained to you and I will use no other. I waited 13 years. A few more months will make no difference. As for the protection surrounding the boy, I believe my plan will be effective. All that is needed is a little courage from you, Wormtail. Courage you will find unless you wish to feel the full extent of Lord Voldemort's wrath. So that's another big foreshadow of what's to come later on. And then I will give you, you know, tears and take a little five or so foreshadowed events and let's make our way through these. Uh, yeah, I'll just knock out uh, five quick ones real quick. Uh, chapter two, which was the scar. Uh, Harry's scar by itself is actually a foreshadowed event, which we... Uh, find out much later on but the whole fact that he had that dream and why he's able to see things like that that's a whole foreshadowed event not going to read you the quote there just because it's um you know uh, you can always read it but that's exactly what it is uh the other one uh so uh, as far as that that's really almost like two of them because it even says when it was saying no the thing that was bothering harry was that the last scar had hurt him. It had been because Voldemort had been close by. But Voldemort couldn't be here now, just like you were saying. The idea of Voldemort working in Privet Drive was absurd and possible. So that's a big one. I'm jumping all the way to Chapter 5 now. Did you have any in between there? Yeah, I had a lot in between there. But they're quick ones I can just bullet point. Um, page 10, the Comborn Tale, One more death and our path to Harry Potter is clear. I'm not asking you to do it alone. By that time, my faithful servant will have rejoined us. That's a big foreshadow right there in the first chapter. Uh, page 11, Bertha Jorkin's information allowed Voldemort to form the plan. Uh, I will allow you to perform an essential task for me, one that many of my followers would give their right hands to perform, is what Voldemort says to Wormtail. That's a heavy foreshadow of what happens to Wormtail in his hand. Um, one more murder, my faithful servant at Hogwarts. Harry Potter's as good as mine. And so, basically, that whole dream in the beginning is a foreshadow that Harry has. Yep. And then, uh, the next one I have is, like, page 30, which is the invitation to the Quidditch World Cup. And I think that's where you're at, somewhere around there. Uh, I'm at Weasley Wizard Wheezes. Oh, okay. So, okay, gotcha. So, I do have a couple more then. Then, Dudley emerged from his last encounter with a fully grown wizard with a curly pig's tail poking out of the seat of his pants. So, it makes sense why he was nervous to see the Weasleys come through his chimney because last time, Hagrid gave him a pig's tail. So, it makes sense. <laughs> Um, page 47 this is another one where I'm going to read the passage on it because it's a big one on page 47 it's actually the third paragraph here we go Fred and George came back into the room carrying Harry's school trunk they glanced around as entered and Dudley they, their fa faces cackled into an evil grin so that's when they kind of dropped the ton tongue toffee so what happens when Mr. Weasley has to stay behind and clean up the mess uh, page 54 that's another one. So page 54. Let's take a look here. Both of them smiled at Harry who grinned back, which made Ginny go scarlet. She had been very taken with Harry ever since his first visit to the borough. So usually I stay away from like the, the foreshadows for like relationships, but that one was a pretty, pretty noticeable one at that point. 
Um, and then now I'm at page 54, Mrs. Weasley. She said, if this has anything to do with Wiz Weasley's wizarding wheezes, then I think that's where you're at, right? That's right where I'm at. Perfect. But yeah, take your time. No, that's it. I'm um, that, that now you're up. You're, <laughs> you're on it. Gotcha. I don't want to step on your toes there, man. Um, the, uh, just a quick one here. I do have when, you know, so Hermione comes down with Ginny, um, and Ginny notices Harry. So, uh, just a quick one here that they say here is only most stuff was really, uh, let's see. I want to make sure I have that right. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I had one actually right before this. So going to your boys, Fred and George real quick, just before stuff in the on Jenny there. Um, but uh, Fred and George, that's when they were mentioning the wizard Weasley wheezes uh, and how, you know, their mom discovered that. So that's actually a big foreshadowing for later on for what Fred and George do. Going back to the girls. Uh, so what happens is, you know, Harry sees Ginny uh, and Hermione comes down and it says, um, with large teeth, this is describing Hermione. Uh, but had brown hair, rather large teeth, was Harry and Ron's friend Hermione Granger. The other was a small and red-haired, was Ron's younger sister, Jenny. Both of them smiled at Harry, who grinned back, which made Jenny go scarlet. She had been very taken with Harry over since his first visit to the borough. So that's... That's exactly uh, what I said. <laughs> uh, okay. I read that exact quote. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Sorry. What happened was I was on the George page. <laughs> But yeah, we both know Harry and Ginny, uh, that's good stuff for them, except for, you know, uh, Cho wants to loosen up her buttons, baby, but I keep frotting out. <laughs> what you gonna do to me? I'll, let, I'll tell you what, how about you fly through these, Jay Nelly? We got some of the very close, similar ones from here. All right, just to knock the, the foreshadows out, page 56, Percy working on a report for Department of International Magical Cooperation. It's important because of who he works under. Uh, then that you know, right, kind of around there, we learn that Percy's boss is Mr. Crouch, and Mr. Crouch plays a wildly important role for the remainder of this book. Uh, the Department of Magical Games and Sports head was Ludo Bagman, uh, and he plays a big role for a couple reasons. He's kind of a sly dog in a in a bad way, uh, Mr. Bagman is, but we're going to talk about him later. Uh, <laughs> losing member of department in terms of Bertha Jorkins, she's been missing for over a month. Uh, in Albania, which is actually a chamber reference, because remember when Dumbledore was like, how could he be here when my sources tell me he's in uh, a force in Albania? So it's actually another chamber of secret, uh, secrets reference that Bertha Jorkins was found by Voldemort in Albania here in, in Goblet, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, page 62, this is uh, Percy making a big prediction here. As you know, we've got another big event to organize right after the World Cup. You know the one I'm talking about, Father, the top secret one? Yep. That's the one for what we're about to go into next week. Uh, and then we got page 66. We learned about splinching. You talked well about that, how when you apparate and you don't do it right, your body can kind of end up in different places. That's a, that, that could be a Deathly Hallows foreshadow for when that happens. So I'm not going to talk too much about that now. But page 76, the site manager is Mr. Roberts for the Quidditch World Cup. Something happens, Mr. Roberts, that we'll talk about next week. It's kind of sad. Um... Then page 79, couldn't have a better spot. The field is just on the other side of the woods there. We're as close as we can be. Well, I put that as a foreshadowed event because those woods come into play here very, very shortly. Um, it was only just dawning on Harry how many witches and wizards there must be in the world. He never really thought much about those in other countries. 
Well, we're going to find out a couple schools in other countries here uh, and later on in the book. Uh, Hermione saying Victor Crumb looks grumpy. I put that as a foreshadow because Hermione and Victor Crumb, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> page 84. Uh, I thought this was pretty cool. I'm going to read the last paragraph here. Just a breeze through it. Where are we? There we go. Expect that they go to some foreign school. I know there are others. I never met anyone who went to one, though. Bill had a pen, fr pen friend at a school in Brazil. This was years and years ago, and he wanted to go on an exchange trip, but Mom and Dad couldn't afford it. His pen friend got all offended when he said he wasn't going and sent him a cursed hat and it made his ear shrivel up. So Harry laughed, but he didn't voice the amazement he felt at hearing about the other wizarding schools. He supposed now that, that he saw representatives of so many nationalities in the campsite that he had been stupid to never realize that Hogwarts couldn't be the only one. So that just talks a little bit about the other wizarding schools. Uh, Bowden Croker, they're unspeakables from the Department of Ministries. That's on page 86 of what Mr. Weasley says. Department of Mysteries, that comes next book, which is big, big. Uh, Fred and George, they bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, 3 nuts that Ireland wins, but Crumb gets the snitch. That's something that came full circle that Chase just broke down with the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, page 89. This one is, I'm going to read it from the third to last paragraph. This is really important here. Not a dicky bird, said Batman comfortably, but she'll turn up, poor old Bertha. Memory like a leaky cauldron and no sense of direction. She's lost. You take my word for it. She'll wander back into the office sometime in October, thinking it's still July. Well, that doesn't necessarily turn out the way he thought it would. <laughs> uh, page 90, we meet Barty Crouch like in person. We had described him. In reference to Barty Crouch, uh, he spoke as though he wanted to leave no doubt in anyone's mind that all his ancestors had abided strictly by the law. That's page 91. Why that's important is because those skeletons in the closet, we were mentioning a little bit about him not too long ago. Uh, page 92. I, and it's great, too, because I only got four more after this. So page 92, the first four paragraphs are important here. So Mr. P Mr. Crouch raised his eyebrows at Bagman. We agreed not to make the announcement until all the details. Oh, details, said Bagman, waving the word away like a cloud of midges. They've signed, haven't they? They've agreed, haven't they? I bet you anything these kids will know soon enough anyways. I mean, it's happening at Hogwarts. Ludo, we need to meet the Bulgarians, you know, said Mr. Crouch sharply, cutting Bagman's remark short. Thank you for the tea, Weatherby. So that put that in there because they're talking about the event that Bagman wants to tell them about now, but no one has been telling him. Percy's been hinting at it. Mr. Weasley's been hinting at it. Now Bagman's like, just let me tell him. And Mr. Crouch is like, no, we follow the rules. So that's a foreshadow. Uh, Fred and George didn't have any souvenirs because they had given all their uh, Ludo Bagman all their gold. Uh, page 98, Harry meets Winky, and Winky says she's holding a spot for her master. Big foreshadow. Big, big. Uh, page 99, first three paragraphs in page 99. This is important here. So, Winky firmly from behind her hands, house elves do what they are told. I is not liking heights at all, Harry Potter, she said as he glanced at the top box and gulped, but my master sends me the top box and I come, sir. Why has he sent you up here if he knows you don't like heights? Master wants me to save him a seat, Harry Potter. He is very busy. Winky is wishing she is back in her master's tent, Harry Potter, but Winky does what she is told. Winky's a good house elf. We realize what she's actually doing in that top box way later. <laughs> and then we Lucius, Draco, Narcissa arrive at the top box. That's going to be a foreshadow for when Narcissa actually plays a bigger role come Deathly Hallows time. And then lastly, 
leprechaun goal falls from the sky at the end of the Quidditch World Cup, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, later in the book why leprechaun gold specifically is important. But that is all of the foreshadowed events that I had for chapters one through eight. Now we're going on to potential plot holes. You said you had the one about pig. Is that the only <laughs> one that you had, or did you have an? You solved that one early, man. I mean, that was the one I had. I was like, I don't know how you're getting this pig here. <laughs> nowhere. So I understood the the Pidgeon thing is what I called it, almost like Pokemon or whatever. Pigwidgeon. Pigwidgeon. Pigwidgeon, yeah. Pigwidgeon, I choose you. But I thought he actually had a, like a warthog on the side, like Pumbaa. I was like, that makes no sense. But yeah, other than that, man, I couldn't find anything. So if you could, I just had one myself up into this point, and that was the when this is page fifty-one, and I've got a support from page fifty-five as well. So ton tongue toffee said Fred brightly. George and I invented them, and we've been looking for someone to test them on all summer. Now this is only a potential plot hole if they had been making them during the summer. Mister Weasley said that they were an engorgement charm, but you can't use magic outside of school. So we would disregard this if they made these at Hogwarts and have just been waiting to use them. But on page 55 in the second paragraph, it kind of leads the, us to believe that they have actually been using magic in their room to make them. And I'll read that paragraph right here. It says, Mom found this stack of order forms when she was cleaning Fred and George's room. Great long price list for stuff they've invented. Joke stuff, you know, fake wands and tricks, loads of sweets. It was brilliant. I never knew they'd been venting all that. We've been hearing explosions out of their rooms for ages, but we never thought they were actually making things. So she, they were making these things outside of school, and then an engorgement charm was put into these toffees. Well, that's magic that you can't use outside of school, and they're not getting in trouble for, and that's the only potential plot hole that I have. Yeah, I didn't have any plot holes. So, I mean, that's, uh, I, mean I, I agree with that, actually, too. You're... Very, I mean, I always say, you know, talking about the devil here now that I speak in Postletone, <laughs> the devil's in the details, man. And, and that was when you actually you got me on because I got to say, like, this is, I think it, I must have missed it just because there's so much that goes into this book. Oh, for sure. Um, because it's, it's not a Sorcerer's Stone. It's not a Chamber of Secrets. The only thing that it can even come close to challenging this for the its predecessors is Azkaban, and I still think Goblet of Fire is in its own level, man. I mean, besides the one and the ones afterwards, like my favorite and the ones afterwards, I, I don't think it, it's on its own level. Like, there's a reason people recognize this book for what it is. So I give you props on that one. It was definitely a plot hole, in my opinion. It was great. It was, like, great writing by J.K. Rowling, like especially because like, we, we've only done through chapters 1 through 8. We'll go next week and see if there's anything in chapters 9 through 14, if there's any sort of other ones there. But that was really the only thing I could really pick out in those eight chapters, which is really impressive because I know in the first two books, like you said, there was a couple of things that I found, you know, quite a bit there. I just have one interesting fact, and I'll give it to you afterwards for the rest of the in interesting facts here. My interesting fact is in regards to the World Cup Stadium itself. So my interesting fact here is Harry was thinking to himself that the World Cup Stadium could fit 10 cathedrals inside. And Mr. Weasley specifically said it seats 100,000. So guys, I did some research, and in real life, the Rangrado 1st of May Stadium in North Korea holds the most seats for any stadium in the real world. 
and it holds 150,000 seats. Now, the most in the United States is Michigan Stadium in Ann Arbor, which seats 107,601 seats. Now, for sports venues in total, the one that holds the most is a speedway. It's Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and that seats the most in the world with 257,325. So I just found that interesting that this World Cup stadium is right on par with the largest ones we actually have in the real world. The one in North Korea holds 150,000, but uh, the one in the United States only holds 7,601 more than the World Cup. And that's the only thing that I had for my interesting facts. Dude, that's awesome, man. No, and, and just to put this in perspective, guys, you know, Josh and I, I mean, we always relate to Disney and Universal and stuff because we live in Florida right um but whatever theme park you're at let's put it this way disney and i know because I've, I've gone here for so long it maxes out at a hundred thousand with all four parks like you're talking about that in one stadium a hundred thousand is actually the exact number that walt disney world not disneyland that's smaller hosts on its waltdisneyworld.go.com. I know because I live in Florida. That's the reason why. And it maxes out at 100,000 all four parks. And that's people shoulder to shoulder. Like, how can you even fathom that? That's insane. Like, you've seen Super Bowls before. This goes even beyond any Super Bowl we've ever seen. Or any, you know, soccer, uh, so even soccer World Cup. It's even above that uh, for us muggles, yeah, man. Um, on my end, I just got, you know, Jay Nelly always laughs at me because I'm always like, just a few things. <laughs> just a few things. Well, I mean, I mean, like five, maybe six things, maybe six, six wizarding things on the side that I can blow through, but it's still not a few, even though I call it a few. Um, quick one here so department of international magic corporation i thought that was really cool because you know percy was talking about working there right so it was actually founded by and this is actually the name i'm not saying this wrong artemisia lufkin which i thought was interesting he's actually from london england but it sounded like it, it wasn't from there but it was founded in 1798 the goal of the department was from wizards it actually is kind of a boring department but the whole <laughs> idea is kind of like that goblin thing i was talking about wizards of different countries try to work together and set standards for trades and regulations is what it's mainly used for um of course they do have an international magical office of law that's actually located inside there and what's cool is we've talked about the international confederation of wizards they're under this department um, so they're overlooked a lot because it looks like a boring place, but it actually is a, a pretty big, significant job on Percy, even though it is boring. So I got to give him props on that. Um, basically, the in layman's terms, what I would say is they're in words of Muggles, they're the foreign common and Commonwealth offices, almost like if you have like a usa embassy where you go to get like currency exchanges and that sort of thing that's basically what they're made of um they're actually on level five of the ministry of magic and the next one here is what i was talking about with the flu network which is really cool uh they're located on level six of the ministry of magic um employees are actually fired from the flu network uh because what happens 
is they do set up flu zones that have been known for if people want to steal someone's identity and what they do is they wait inside i call it a chimney a fireplace is what they say because that's a different part of it and what they do is they wait why these people are on the phone and steal their information <laughs> people are fired by that by that from the ministry of magic law enforcement uh so that's a big thing there they actually have what's called the flu regulation panel <laughs> that monitors this um they also control which fireplaces are connected to the flu network uh which qualified wizard belongs on that panel so you can't just like show up and go there they do require tests um they have to be granted special access with magical tools uh, in 1855, wor wizards were actually afraid to use the flu network because uh, Violet, Violet Tillyman, there was a disappearance that happened. Uh, what actually happened was um, basically she just up quit her job, like just never told anyone and walked out. But because she was monitoring a flu network for these people that just sit in there, uh, what happened was she actually had to go inspect a fireplace because it wasn't, uh, for some reason it wasn't cooperating right with the direction, but she got pissed at her job and just up and left with her husband and never came back. But what happened was they actually called magical law enforcement because they thought a serial killer was on the loose killing people in fireplaces. <laughs> and so I thought it was very interesting. That is interesting. And actually... They shut down the flu network for a couple of years <laughs> because of it. And you can look that up on pottermore.com. So uh, Ted Bundy style, all because of a girl. This is why you give it two weeks notice. That's <laughs> all you had to do. Come on, dude. Come on. <laughs> like, let's be, let's be good people here. Um, the engagement charm. Uh, 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 engorge, sorry, engorgement. You know, I'm a terrible name. Engorgement charm. I thought this was really cool because you went into tongue. I always say tongue-tied toffee. What do you call it? Tongue, tongue, toffee. Tongue, tongue, toffee. Got to work on my words there. Tongue, the teeth, and the lips. Uh, so it is found in standard book of spells two and three. Actually, a shrinking charm uh, that is shot by my boy Snape in year two uh, can uh, actually fix this. Um, in a solution in a shrinking solution potion which we've talked about before but here's what's cool guys so if you're into cooking i'm a terrible cook i get i'm you know i'm a bachelor here living in a one bedroom apartment i do have a girlfriend so i'm not a bad person like that bachelor but i don't have kids right so i usually eat fast food i should be cooking more but if you like to cook here's what's cool unfortunately you're not gonna have the charm applied to it you can actually bake your own how do you say it tongue ton tongue toffee <laughs> ton tongue toffee ton tongue sorry tongue tongue ton tongue toffee you can make your own it won't have the charm but you can make your own so uh if you want to slow this down on the podcast or on the youtube you're more than welcome to ingredients here right so you add two scoops it says dried nettles. Basically what you can do for this, if you wanted to add basically, I don't want to say flour, but just any sort of um, 
like green like uh leaves like salad or anything because dried nettles are kind of more like salad they describe them as a stinging plant with hairy leaves but if you just add any sort of salad it'll actually work um so the ingredients to the wizards and then i'm going to tell you what you can use to the magical universe it's two scoops of dried nettles with a mortar uh three puffer fish um and then what you would do is you would actually confine it into a powder, add two measures of um, crushed sugar that you can add to your cauldron, and then add two tablespoons of water, uh, and then mix them together and then heat it up to a temperature for 20 minutes. Uh, add some mixture of water, and then what you'll do is then you'll add another tablespoon of water is what you'll do, and then you'll leave it to brew. And then part two, they said, add a bat spleen. We're gonna leave that part out when I tell you what to use. Stir four times clockwise and heat to low to 30 seconds and wave your wand to complete for the potion. Here's how I want you to do it. So you can make your own. Leave out the bat spleen, please. No one wants COVID anymore. We're not about that. <laughs> <laughs> not up in here. You can add instead of the bat spleen, please. Go to Target, go to Walmart, go to Best... I don't think Best Buy has it. Maybe they do Big Lots, if you have Big Lots, Winn-Dixie. Food coloring. It makes the same color without the coronavirus. You can actually make your own. All you need is two cups of sugar, eight tablespoons of butter, one half teaspoon and a half teaspoon of vanilla extract. That takes the place of what we would call the dry nettles is the vanilla extract no one actually wants stinging leaves in there either and you can add salad as well so vanilla extract and salad then add one and one half cups of water and then what you're going to want to do is place all those ingredients in a saucepan stir it over medium heat so i would put your you know your burner on what 200 probably right uh, uh sorry here they actually have the exact one good for me for actually researching it point point one chase 290 so i was only 90 degrees off so i really would have messed up your cookies or whatever the hell you want to call it 290 degrees is what you want to put it on so if you want to slow that part down pour into a, a bowl um they use a nine and a half inch pan basically like cookie cutters is what you can use so anything that's like cookie cutters like cookie you know a cookie template um and then what you're going to do is you're just going to let cool uh they say one and a half to two minutes on there and then they say the cookie cutter we recommend at least two inches because two inch squares is actually what they were cut into uh with fred and george when they used to make these um, and then from that point you're done and you just let it cook so if you want to make your own please explain tongue tongue toffee <laughs> tongue tied coffee see if i went up to zaxby's i'd be like add the tongue torch sauce <laughs> we need some of that on there yeah if you want tongue tied tongue touch torch tongue torch tongue please. tongue toffee <laughs> if you want your own tongue if you want your own ton tongue toffee he can be taught ton tongue toffee 
uh, that's the way to do it. The apparition test that I was talking about earlier, um, you can take an apparition test at a test center. Uh, you can also take it by signups at Hogsmeade, um, which uh, actually is in one of the books we talk about much later on, but you can sign up there, but it's, it's only on school curriculum. You must be 17 or older. Um, a big known person uh, that was hired by hired from Hogwarts um, was Wilkie Tycross. He actually wound up being a tutor for Hogwarts to teach every student every year to try to pass this test. It was so hard. Um, there is a written and physical test, um, and you must be able to perform it in front of in, in front of everyone. You also must be able to perform the anti-apparition charm. So uh, what that is, is basically an anti-apparition charm. It was being used in the wrong way for a long time because what was happening was you can stop an apparition and it was trapping people there and actually serial killers and murderers were stopping it. But basically, if you ever want to pass the test, you have to master the anti-apparition charm because it'll stop an apparition without you splitting into like multiple pieces. So basically you can help someone else out. Uh, next interesting fact is Bill's earring. This is one of my favorites. Um, it is confirmed a rumor at the moment because the only person that hasn't confirmed it, um, it is on Pottermore. Um, some people still disagree with this though so they don't confirm it is basically what's going on uh, because JK Rowling hasn't officially acknowledged it but there is a rumor that Bill's earring that is a thing is actually from we talked about werewolves before the werewolf pack of Fanine Greyback which Fenin Greyback... Fenrir Greyback. Fenrir, sorry. You know I'm terrible names. Fenrir Greyback. We had an episode on this in my interesting fact. Bit Lupin when he was a child. Well, the pack that was there, it is said at some point, no one knows when, but Bill got that scratch across his face from a werewolf, and it was from that pack. So what he did, imagine Bill being the badass. You already know he's like Enrico Suave with his surfer dude, rock star style, and he's got the smartness. Now he's got that UFC mother effer style, knocking out werewolves. Holy shit, man. Excuse my language. And then he pried the werewolf tooth from its mouth and then added it to the earring as a trophy which is pretty amazing. That's the most amazing thing ever. This dude's a stud. Like, I wish I could be this guy. This guy is Justin Timberlake with UFC style. That's exactly what this guy is. Um, last few things here. So Department of Magical Transportation. Their symbol, actually, a lot of people don't know because we do talk about COVID-19 a lot, is actually a biohazard symbol, it looks like. Um, they have the DMT inside the biohazard circles. Uh, inside the offices, you do have the flu network, room regulatory control, uh, the port key office, and then at the bottom, underneath all the three circles, uh, you have the apparition office, um, which is what that lies under. 
the goblin liaison office i told you i'd talk about i i told you already basically its goal is to balance economy relations between goblins and wizards um what's funny is they actually work with unspeakables which is talked about in this book um it's a witch or wizard that has worked in the ministry of magic departments of mysteries um, which we talked about a little bit with Hermione and the Time Turner. They don't disclose any information at all. Uh, they actually are used, we'll talk about a lot in my favorite book, um, to remove prophecies uh, from the hall there, which it actually is said that if they go into the death chamber and don't abide by rules because they can't just make up their own rules, what could happen is they start hearing voices that are heard from the dead almost like harry saw his family um and what would happen is it causes basically instant death if they don't fulfill the prophecy and they withdraw um unspeakables are actually granted impunity from the minister of magic department of magical law enforcement we talked about um randolphus lestrange which We'll talk about them, the Lestrange family, much later on. Uh, tried to get the department shut down because it was causing so many deaths, uh, which we'll talk about the death toll and something else much later on. Known unspeakables, and then we'll wrap this up here. Augustus Rockwood, Broderick Bode, Soul Crocker, Garrick Greengrass, Lavina, Monk Stanley, Elise Mundumble, Regina Royal, Albert Solo, Grim Folly, um, and then you have uh, just a few last things. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> the Vila, which is really cool. I didn't know this. So the Vila, of course, are from Bulgaria. Incredibly beautiful women with gold hair that hypnotize and mesmerize em enemies with seductive dances, right? But so uh their faces can actually turn into beaks like we were talking about a little bit and their wings actually will burst so they do have wings just like they launch fireballs it does say that but their hair it is said if you pluck one single hair it was actually done on a person we'll talk about later that comes to this school grandmother um what happens is basically um, it is known that it is used in wands uh, but also they could die if you actually pluck these hairs um, they're known for breeding with humans as well those are known as half vilas and they inherit the magical abilities from their parents but full-blooded relatives are the only ones that can transform mixed bloods um, they're still working with that some have claimed to do so but it's not been proven um pauline decor it is said was the first one who is someone's mother that we'll talk about later on um to have claimed to do that um and uh, uh last thing with that is they are said to be maidens that were cursed by god in an afterlife and are said after they die instead of becoming ghosts like nearly headless headless nick they're said to live 
among the water and to control the water just for all eternity, but will live their entire life in just a wanderless eternity. So they can neither go to heaven or the thing downstairs. Um, and last thing here, even though I said last thing a thousand times, Gobblegook is the native language of goblins, which they mentioned in Mermesh is the language of merpeople, which might help you out a little bit later. So my wand I actually left on the wall here. There's a reason why actually today. If you didn't know, me and Josh have had this discussion before. Elves actually do not use wands. And it's going to come into a big point in our next episode when a wand is discovered by somebody. But if you look at, you know, Gavi that we've talked about in Chamber of Secrets and Winky here, they do not use wands. So to stand up for their rights, I'm actually not using a wand today. So I will actually go ahead and snap my fingers here. And I'm going to go ahead and let Jay Nelly sign us off in just a minute. And when he says sign it off, I will snap my fingers because not all hell selves use wands. And in the next episode, we are going to talk about in detail. I've always been a Granger Things person. And I really think this is where Hermione Granger takes a step out. So for all the hell selves out there, I'm throwing this one out for you today, guys. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Now, some of those were actually really cool. Uh, I'm wondering if that one with Bill and, and, the, and the tooth, like, if that could be confirmed, that'd be really dope, especially because of what happens to Bill later on uh, when it comes to uh, werewolves. So I think that would be super dope. Uh, I will say this, guys, you know, with, with Harry Potter here, with just us tackling today, you know, chapters one through eight, it's been a, like, this is one of my favorite this is probably going to be one of my favorite books to break down of all the things that we do at Factor Fantasy. So this one is going to take us a little bit longer. You know, with Azkaban, it took us, uh, what, three episodes, then the differences. With Goblet, it's going to take us at least probably six total episodes and the difference, maybe more. So I can't give you guys a definitive date of when we will close out with Goblet because there's so much detail in all the books. As you can see, even this one took a little bit longer than we intended just because there's so much in this book and all of it's super important for the story especially with the great crazy events that happen later on um but before he closes out today we've got to get back to the habit of saying thank you to, to everybody out there but not only that asking everyone if you like what you hear share it with your friends click like subscribe follow us on instagram official ridiculous patronus we got a facebook page uh chasing josh factor fantasy we got a twitter account we've got linkedin we've got snapchat Follow us on any platform, you know, outside of just uh, where you get your podcasts from. Follow us on social. We love to have the interaction and uh, communication with our audience. Leave a review. And oh yeah, absolutely, love it. Yeah, leave a review as well. We uh, we love seeing any sort of uh, commentary from the people who listen to us. And uh, who knows, maybe uh, if we go back and forth enough, we might feature some of our audience members on an episode, yeah. depending on how it goes. Yeah, guys, y'all leave us reviews. We'll even shout you out here. We, Josh and I see every single one of those reviews, and, you know, it, it really means a lot. Everything y'all say, all the feedback, you know, in regards to the content, even going to, you know, uh, the debates and, you know, the Instagram, even reaching us out there. We're working on being a little more active on Twitter and that sort of thing. We're, we're getting it going, so... Uh, but everything y'all say, it really means a lot to us. 
And uh, uh, you know, as y'all have seen from here, we're not gonna let you down. It means a lot, all your numbers. We're gonna keep this Hogwarts train rolling off the rails, baby. Absolutely. And uh, so th today, the guys, what we tackled is chapter one, Thrill House through chapter eight, uh, the Quidditch Cup final. Next week, we're going to be tackling a little bit less in terms of number of chapters, but just as much in terms of quality of content. We're going to be tackling chapters 9 through chapters 14. And so with that, I will say this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, I'll snap my fingers for all the house elves out there, baby. <laughs> Factor, Factor Fantasy. Fantasy. Signing off. Uh -huh.